a golden god! An equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> I don't know who's weirder, you or me. You just put the law in my hands, and I'm gonna break your heart. Nobody puts baby in the Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Hello and welcome back to Movies for Life. I'm one of your co-hosts, Brian Kuyper. And I'm your other co-host, Michelle Egan. Today we've got uh, something different, I guess, something that we've contemplated for a while here, if that's the word. Uh, so we haven't come up with a title for this one. No. But uh, <laughs> um. uh, it, it has to do with um, ladies of the evening, but Belle de Jour is during the day. So, I, so that doesn't work. Sure, 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 sure. Um, so but. yeah, whores. <laughs> As Lewis Black would say. As Lewis Black would say. Anyway, whores, whores. Uh, anyway, we. No, yeah. So we didn't like come up with this topic. Like we're going to talk about sex workers or whatever or movies with no. this. And it. it's just, I I had seen Belle de Jour for the first time, which was one of the movies that we're talking about. It's one of the movies that was on my discoveries list. And I just sort of came up with, I thought Last Night in Soho would be a really good double to go along with it. And I know Brian is a huge fan of that movie. I am mm -hmm. too. And yeah. so we just, this is a double that we just really wanted to do. Yeah. And I think I can officially say that Last Night in Soho is my favorite movie of 2021. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Because I... I listed it at the when we put it on our discoveries list that year. We sort of were mixing up movies that were new with movies that were old, and yeah. and Pig and Last Night in Soho were the highest from that year on my list. I think those two movies still are my favorites from 2021, mm -hmm. and this movie. The, uh, the more I've seen it three times now because I saw it twice in the theater. And then I watched it on the 4K just yesterday. And I just keep liking it more. I, I gave it four stars initially, and now I am I'm just going, oh hell, I'll give it five. Why not? <laughs> I love this movie. I think that's, it's really, really great. It. Yeah. It's just um it's it gets better every time I watch it. I'm more impressed with the technical aspects, I think, as I watch it more, and and those are impressive right off the bat. But I think the story also has sort of settled in for me. And it, the first time I watched it, there were some issues I had with the ending. Issues, but yes. but I think it, it works for me now as the more I've set with it. But we are going to actually start with Michelle's pick. Yes, because um, I think that there's. I don't know if it was an if if it was conscious or not, but there are some clear similarities between Belle de Jour and Last Night in Soho. That's why I figured they would go perfectly, and they kind of do, or like 
where Belle de Jour is, I mean, literally like takes place or was made in the time that Last Night in Soho is is set. Yeah. It's partially set. Yeah. <laughs> or at least is nostalgic for. Yes. And that's that's a big at thing first. about um, Last Night in Soho. Yeah. And like I said before, too, like I was looking and I put the two posters side by side, like the the main characters both doing like the same pose in there. So I don't know. They kind of look there's similar. There's a similar hairstyle. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, it, there's some <laughs> there's some interesting things about Sandy and Severin. Severine? Severine. Yeah. Severine, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're actually completely opposite, I think, actually in terms of their motivations. Yeah. Uh, there's still very, there's still a, a lot of inspiration, I think, um, mm-hmm. from Bill de Jour to Last Night in Soho. So it's a it's a good little through line they have, even though they're, one is very, it still has like some, has fantasy and dream sequences and stuff, but they're not so like over the top sequences like you see in Last Night in Soho, but there's just a nice little through line that, that connects them. So I yeah. think this is going to be a really cool feature, it, double feature. It has the, they both have the blurring of the lines between reality yeah. and fantasy, So, mm-hmm. which is interesting. But in, in different ways. In different ways too, yeah. And Luis Buñuel is one of the more interesting filmmakers of all time. I, he... Uh, started making surreal films in the 20s with Salvador Dali. And, you know, Ancien Andalou, the Andalusian dog, is probably their most famous collaboration where you get the razor cutting the eye and the ants okay. and the donkeys. This is where Brian is smarter than me because I don't know any of this stuff. <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah, the donkeys on the piano and all that. Um, so that's a wild little, it's a sure. short film. I mean, it's totally experiment. And the whole idea was that two images that are next to each other could not have anything to do with each other. That was their whole motivation in making that. Then, of course, uh, Lodge Door, uh, the Golden Age is another extremely surreal movie. This is actually probably one of the more accessible films of Luis Buñuel. There is the sort of dreamlike fantasy element, but there is also a grounding in reality. It's a little bit more like... It's not really hard to figure out. Yeah, Yeah, it's a little bit more like Wes Craven in a lot of ways, I think. I mean, I think that a movie like this clearly inspired Wes Craven and... Nightmare on Elm Street and um, some of his other movies that sort of freely move between fantasy and reality. Uh, I, I think that I know that Craven greatly admired Buñuel. And so I, I know that because I've been studying that thoroughly. <laughs> yeah. um, so, in fact, that's, that that's, yeah. that's what the, the published the chapter that I'm having published is on that very subject, in fact. So yep. on how reality is blurred. In his movies, and Buñuel is one of those key influences. And I think because the story is told that way too, um, it's it's one of those movies that you can interpret several different ways yeah. based on your own experience and your own perspective and your own outlook on the whole situation. Which um, I think 
he even encourages people to do that because like the ending is very ambiguous some of the fantasy sequences are really um like could be real could be not real um i think i I even changed my mind on one of them that i thought totally happened but now i'm thinking like no that was totally one of her fantasies but the way that he does it the way that he kind of weaves them within the story there are indications of like when it's a fantasy and and when it's not but you could also see it in different ways Absolutely. And I I think Buñuel is kind of like one of those guys like David Lynch. <laughs> I'm not going to explain it. I, I'm not going to just interpret it your own way. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I'm not going to talk about it. The, my talking about it is what I put on the screen. So mm-hmm. now it's up to you to talk about it. And I, I love that. Honestly, the, I love that the, too. The more I and Cohen brothers do the same thing. They will never tell you what any of their movies are about, and I think that's the way it should be. And more filmmakers, Quentin Tarantino, could go with that <laughs> idea. You can cut that yeah. out if you want. <laughs> so, um, because that's I mean that's one of the main reason why I. I loved this movie so much when I first saw it is because it was another one of those movies that came out at a time when it was kind of the perfect time in my life for me to see it and for me to be able to relate to it in my own way, which may be totally different from the way somebody else watches it. But I was able to get so much out of it, so much out of the main character. I felt like I understood her and I related to her a lot more than any character that I had seen in a long time. And so it's I love when that happens with a movie and I don't need somebody else to explain, you know, it for me. It's like, no, I have my own way of, of reading this movie that means something to me. And that's what's kind of special about movies that they don't always have to be explained to you. Exactly. Yeah. You you bring yourself into a movie all the time. And that's what makes that's what makes them special. That's what gives you that connection that we we love that makes us love movies and love keep coming love keep coming keeping keeping coming back to me as i can't talk but you know what i mean yeah well and it's interesting you know i and i watched this movie and my just because of my experience my greatest the people that i probably the character i can't either the characters (laughs) that i feel like i relate to the most would be like pierre and maybe uh-huh. even to some tiny, minuscule extent, uh, Marcel. But, you know, I it's, it's what your experience is. And I think that there's mm-hmm. – it's not wrong. It's just, you know, we all have the different perspectives. And that's what makes doing this show always uh, interesting whenever we, we talk about these stuff is yeah. like – the different perspectives that we bring to it. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I always love seeing how someone else sees a movie, whatever, whatever it is, you know? Yeah. I also think that watching this again, it was like, there's sort of an eyes wide shut feeling to it uh, mm-hmm. where there is, whereas I think most of that movie, if not all of it is actually a fantasy or uh-huh. a dream of some sort. This uh, moves freely back and forth between I'm going to use the Craven term again, consensus reality in the fantasy world, you know? Uh-huh. So, uh, and it opens with that fantasy. Yeah, I was going to say, well, well, that's how it opens is with one of her first fantasies and yeah. the f- and the, um, the the indication that you get throughout the movie, not the indication, what's the word? Like the, 
There are a few, few the signifiers, yeah. Yeah, the, the carriage, uh, say, that they're, that you see Severina and Pierre riding in yeah. the beginning is very much a signifier of what is going to be a fantasy yeah. later on. And there's also, the there's also a couple of other things that are placed here, like the autumn leaves. You know, there's a, towards the end, there's a superimposition of the autumn leaves over the real image of their home, of their apartment, that I thought was interesting. And, you know, you hear the sound of the jingle bells and the sound of mm-hmm. of the horse's hooves. And you see those same carriage drivers as well yes. when it are certain are kind of signifiers that it's a fantasy world. Well, it starts out with, you know, and it sets up so much in this scene. I mean, I think it's important to discuss this scene a little bit in depth because, yeah. you know, there's this whole... You know, I, I I love you. They clearly are, they love each other. But then he says, but why are you so cold then? <laughs> I have a tender, I have a tenderness for you, for her is what he says. And like, yeah. but, but you're so cold. And yeah. And then, okay, this is, I was really worried when I f- was first watching <laughs> this movie, when this scene was happening. Because I was like, oh, no, I don't want it to be that kind of movie. <laughs> it looks like uh, a scene from The Last House on the Left. It does. <laughs> because after they have this little conversation in their carriage, and it becomes very obvious, like, kind of what they're talking about. Like, you're so cold. Like, because, so, you know, she, um, Severine is played by the, as we've talked about many times before, the absolutely perfect <laughs> Catherine Deneuve. Um, who is uh, Pierre? I don't know his name. Jean Sorel. Okay. Yeah. He's her her husband they've only been married for a year and basically the whole thing between them is that um they they do very much care for each other and are in love but uh you find out as the story goes on that she has she's not very she's either not into it or doesn't want to or there's something going on where she's not able to be intimate with her husband she seems to lack just any kind of sexual desire for him at all Mm -hmm. i mean it's maybe uh, she, but at the same time, that it's it's subtle and it's sort of nuanced because she clearly does love this man, you know. Mm-hmm. I, but absolutely, but the sort of erotic element is just not present. Um, and there's a mm-hmm. few indicators as to why that could be. Um, yes. but we'll <laughs> that'll come through later. It's almost like yeah. he's too perfect in a way. He's too That's what I was thinking. He's he's too nice. He's very nice. He's 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 successful. I mean, face it, they're rich. He's a doctor. Yeah. He's kind. She's wearing like designer clothes. He's yeah. a really decent guy <laughs> and he's he's good looking too. Whereas oh yeah, he's hot. All, all the men later in the film are not. Uh, they ha- they have some sort of either they're just kind of generally unattractive a little bit grody or they have, you know, like, like Marcel's teeth are, are punched yeah. out and has a scar and all these other has kinds a scar. Of, yeah. yeah. So, um, it, it's, it's, it's some of that kind of stuff. It's, it's fascinating, you know, but yeah. And this scene actually makes more sense after you've watched the whole movie too. And you go back and you think about the character cause Pierre's being so nice and everything. And then, um, again, this is a fantasy. This is not really happening. Um, he has the carriage guys like 
attack her basically and grab her and drag her out into the field and tie her up and start whipping her so i was like oh god i don't want to watch this kind of movie like i said when i first watched it but then it gets very intriguing when and they're calling her names and everything and you can't really see her face just yet but when pierre says something to one of the guys it's like okay you can you can have, have her now, her now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he goes up behind her and then you finally see her look on her face she's enjoying it and yeah. i was like oh okay <laughs> yeah that's when i got really really interested in, in the rest of this movie um and that's when i started to understand kind of what she was going through a little bit i think um because you can have uh, sometimes you have like fantasies that are hard to you know, explain to people like, no, I, I you're, you're too nice. I kind of want this. This is what's going to make me excited, you know? Yeah. And it's hard to talk about that kind of stuff maybe to people. I don't really have anything like that, but I understand the people that do. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of thing that's not necessarily brought up in polite society very often. Right. Especially <laughs> when she's having trouble, I think, explaining why in this perfect existence, more or less, that she has with her husband of a year, why she just can't seem to be into him sexually. And Mm -hmm. there's an implication in the opening, in the following sequence, where they're in the real world, they're in their apartment together. They have these two separate beds (laughs) in their bedroom. Mm -hmm. And she says, well, I want to kiss you. And he does and says, and, and, implies well well maybe maybe try try getting into bed with me and and then it's just like uh sorry no it's just not happening there's there's an implication that even after a year of marriage that she's a virgin and i'm not for sure i don't know yeah it kind of it kind of goes back and forth and i i think that it's sort of strongly implied especially because her first sort of uh followed through (laughs) uh encounter later there's a, a client yeah. yeah with a client there's a spot of blood on a towel as if her yeah. hymen has been broken or her her virginity uh has been broken but that could also mean you know that could be a very metaphorical thing too but it, the fact that it happens in a real world situation makes me wonder so and those are just some I of the things i don't know what was in I'm the wondering. box What's in it the could box? Have been like, what, what was ever in the box? It could have been the blood could have been his, I don't know. You know. <laughs> there's a fly on a leash. Is what I wonder, and because the other, because the other, uh, the other girl looks at it and goes, "No, <laughs> I'm not doing yeah. that," you know. So, <laughs> but we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here, too, but it's just like, but there's there's like this insert shot too where it shows supposedly her as a younger kid, and this guy, this older man, like nuzzling her kissing her on the neck and sort of feeling her legs the implication uh, assaulting her of course yes. that she's been molested and so you're kind of like oh you know and he's kind of and- an unattractive guy <laughs> so i, I don't and i know. think that's an, a very important yeah i mean it's such a quick little shot that isn't even like it's stuff never I was brought reading, back yeah yeah it's never brought back um there's one other like quick shot when she, I guess it's her first communion or something. Yes. And she refuses to she take refuses the wafer. To take the wafer. Yeah. That's another one from when she was a kid that comes up, but uh, she doesn't really, she doesn't really talk about it. And a lot of like articles and stuff I was reading about this movie, like they just kind of, they mention that scene, but they, 
literally don't think it's significant when I think it's extremely significant Hmm. um, to what could possibly be her issue. But okay, first we got to get into like (laughs) other stuff that is going on here. Okay, so when um, when he, he tries to when Pierre tries to get in to bed with her, and and she says no, it's like he's being so understanding, but you also have to wonder like is he really? He's frustrated because it's been a year. You can tell he's frustrated. It's, <laughs> it's been a year. We don't know if they've had sex at all yet. We're not for sure. It kind of I don't know. I kind of lean towards maybe they do have or have a a few times but she doesn't really enjoy it kind of thing i don't know but so you um you're definitely getting like both sides to them he's just being so nice is the thing and i think we get from her fantasies that that's not really what she wants or what she needs which i think is interesting and so she's always intrigued by the guys that are mean to her yeah um especially when um this uh Uh, Hussan, I don't under uh, this guy. I don't know how I feel about him. Um, They're so they're like on some kind of like ski, Mm -hmm. like a vacation somewhere, and they uh, they run into this friend of theirs, Hussan and Renee, and he's obviously. I kind of when you go back and look at like some of the things that they or uh, listen to some of the things that are said earlier on. It's like, oh, okay. So he's kind of into that because they, they come up to them at the table and he says to Renee, like while holding her hand, like your scars heal so nicely. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I think I like missed that the first time around. It's like, so he's like into, he's probably into like um, stuff like bondage or sadism or masochism or something that um, he's actually very open about and because uh pierre says something in this conversation too about how like you should see someone about your obsessions <laughs> right and this is when um uh, meeting up with renee this is when severine finds out about a, a mutual friend of theirs um henry uh henriette that uh she has started so kind of gossiping about her that she started working um as a sex worker in one of these like um <clears throat> it's like a brothel it's a brothel but like a high class yeah place mm-hmm. and i don't know there's like uh, you can see they're in like a taxi cab and the the cab driver is like yeah those places you know do very much exist and i can show you some of them and there's like one part where um severin she kind of spaces out a little bit and even though the words that she's saying are like oh i can't imagine you know or doing mm-hmm. stuff like that or i don't understand women who did that you she kind of spaces out and like you see her you can i think uh, what I love about Deneuve's per- performance in this is that you can see so much going on sometimes, like in in her head, even when she has like no expression on her face. I think, or maybe it's just because I I felt like I understood her right, or yeah. related to her so much that yeah. I, I could see so much like uh, her mind working mm-hmm. a little bit, and like oh, this could be maybe this is what I need, you know? Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I find interesting about French film, a lot of French film from this period is the actors seem to so rarely display emotion. Mm-hmm. It's always, they're always very stone-faced, it seems. So you're sort of left to project your reaction onto them a little bit. And so it's just one of those one of those things. I, I, I see that in Godard and Truffaut as well. It's one of those things where, again, where you, you bring your own experience into a movie and you yeah. can see so much more of it than maybe what the filmmakers even intended 
you know, because this is the part where, um, like, she comes home and she she's distracted and she um, she uh, breaks the flower pot. Yeah. And then she goes into the bathroom and she knocks over the perfume. And she's like, what's wrong with me today? And that's when you get the the flashback of her probably being molested. Yeah. And I don't know, I definitely um, kind of under, when I saw that, that's when I was like, oh, I think I kind of understand what her problem is because it's like when you have so much of sexuality and sexual desire and stuff is mental, right? Mm -hmm. That's a big part of it. And so if you have some kind of mental block like that, whether you know where it comes from or not, or like what it is exactly, it is very difficult to uh, get over that or not get over it, but just kind of work through it enough to where you get to a point where you can't enjoy that, that stuff anymore. You know, especially if it's, um, if it's some kind of sexual abuse or assault, whether this was, a reoccurring thing for Severine or it just happened once that is enough mm-hmm. to you know cause these kind of problems years and years and years in the future until you finally deal with them like I've yep. had to do it and yep. and people react in different ways so some might yeah. retract from any sort of sexual exploration at all and some people go I guess wild for a better for lack of a better term so to try and mm-hmm. take that back yeah what mm-hmm. was taken from them sure yeah exactly there's and th- sometimes, like when you're back in those situations again, like your your mind and your body remembers. Your your mind is even if you're not thinking about the incident when you're trying, even if you want to have sex and you're trying to, you know, sometimes like your your mind is it's like a natural response that your mind is trying to protect your body from mm-hmm. that harm again. You know, so I, that's kind of what I was getting from like that. Maybe that that's where a lot of her her block is coming from, or she simply can't because she's got this thing that she has to work over she has to find a way to get through that and find her her confidence again however she needs to do it and this is the way that she does it in the the movie and it works for her so i have no problem with it you know well i kind of wonder if it does though a little bit ultimately um but we'll get to that as we go along one of the things (laughs) that's kind of an interesting um detail in a few of these scenes is they show her shoes and she's got these buckles on her shoes. And it made me think of like Puritans and, you know, <laughs> hat buckles and stuff like that. Sort of that. It, it's it's just a weird detail. But they show that multiple times. And I, I it's when she goes into the Anias's house, you know, for the mm-hmm. for the first time, they kind of focus on her shoes. As they she's focus walk- on her feet. Yeah, she's walking that. up the stairs. And I thought. You see the hesitation. She's yeah. Like- pacing or trying to think should i go back yeah Yeah. i love that yeah so it's there's a i think the outfits sometimes are a big part of like what the a certain scene is trying to say especially like i think the last outfit that she's wearing we'll get there (laughs) okay so this uh (laughs) she she kind of goes to anias's and then she leaves and then she goes back (laughs) and she's it's it's she's really trying to figure out what she wants to do here she goes in and she sits in the park for a little bit where there's like children playing or mm-hmm. around her kind of maybe reminding her of innocence or something somehow or what innocence maybe she lost. I don't know. Like, I don't, and it, but she does eventually go back. Yeah. Um, I like the scene where she, she asks Pierre if he has ever been to a place like yeah, that. Yeah. And I think that's a <laughs> key scene. I, it absolutely is. Because he's experienced and she's 
at least the implication is that she's not. So there's almost like a little bit of a, well, you had this experience. I want it too before Mm -hmm. we, it's almost like maybe she doesn't feel like she is prepared to be with someone who's been with people, (laughs) you know, uh, and the women have performance anxiety too. (laughs) Sure. I think. And one of the things that's interesting is like, you know, you, he says, what are those houses like? And he says, well, you, you go in, you go in, you pick a girl, you spend a half hour with them and you spend the rest of the day depressed, Uh (laughs) which, you know, okay. I haven't had that particular experience, but you know, I've, uh, (laughs) it's, I can understand what he's getting at there. Uh, you just, it's just kind of like knowing that the connection is temporary and mm-hmm. knowing that uh, you're not the only one, uh, knowing that there are probably the possibility of hundreds of other connections that are happening with this person. I, I, and so no I, real feeling yeah, between the two of you. Sure. Yeah. And, and it feels, and it can feel so real to you. But maybe it mm-hmm. doesn't to them. And that thought is, it's tough, I think, you know, if you make a connection with someone. But then at the same time, you know, it is ultimately a fantasy. It's not the real deal, ultimately. So I, I understand why why he says that the way he does. Right. Why he says, and then you spend the rest of the day depressed. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> but then, well, you know, then, he, I also then, think... he, then he goes back and does it again another day. You know, knowing sure. that that's well, going to happen. Because I think his last, his next line that is actually it seems kind of funny like he's making a joke but it's also a good thing when he says but what can you do and then he quotes uh latin yeah which is it's uh <laughs> semen retentum veninum est which basically translates to like uh like holding you gotta blow your holding wand. it in causes <laughs> is poisonous you know yeah, yeah. but he's so basically saying that like uh you gotta get your rocks off you gotta but he's right yeah. like sexual release and that kind of stuff that's actually very healthy and important mm-hmm. so there's that side of it too that you kind of understand it's like oh, sorry yeah. <laughs> sometimes you just you just have to and that's a good that's a good point to make too yeah that maybe there doesn't always have to be some kind of connection to it sometimes it can just be hey sorry i just need to <laughs> yeah yeah no i get it i get it so that first time, though, that that guy, she just seems so repulsed by him. <laughs> I, 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 I get the impression. I am repulsed by him, too. <laughs> I, I get the impression that she just doesn't follow through with that one, that she leaves and doesn't come back. I, I don't think so either. Yeah. And it makes her feel clearly it makes her feel dirty because her next fantasy. Uh, or maybe they do. And she's still hasn't quite let go yeah. enough to enjoy it like she does eventually. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's a little bit a little like bit more confident. And you know, the thing is we know she goes in, it's her choice, but Anais, once she says, okay, I want to do this is pretty forceful about, okay, now you're going to do this because of the response. Yeah. That Severin gives because when Anais is um, getting a little more forceful, anytime anybody gets a little bit more like demanding uh, of her, that's when she responds positively. Yeah. Though she says yes, ma'am, right away. That's when because she's a masochist, basically. Yeah. Like that's what she. Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of what point. she needs. Yeah, you're you're right. That is absolutely correct. Um, it's just one of those things where it just feels to me. I don't know. It it feels a little. I know it icky. does feel a little wrong. Yeah. The first time I watched it, I was like, okay, I, I get. 
like her fantasies and everything. I just I'm not really liking the way that she's because she says no all the time. She says no. And, yeah. And, 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 and they kind of say, oh, you don't really mean that. So, uh, you know, which you is know not what I mean? cool at all. Yeah, yeah I know. Uh, <laughs> That's why I mean that's why her fantasies are a little bit That's why this is a complex movie. Yeah, this is a real this is a real challenging movie. And especially it's hard to understand if you don't have those same like, fantasies or anything at all cuz that all that kind of stuff like um sadism masochism that no. I'm not cool with that <laughs> at all cuz I'm not, not your thing, I'm yeah. not into having the power and control taken away from me. Mm-hmm. No, I've already had that happen in real life, so let's not do that in my fun time. Right. Okay? So I just don't understand that side of it, um, which is why it's a little more difficult for me. But I, I, I get it. Mm-hmm. I get how some people can be into that because um, the one of the funniest parts, um, her trying to kind of understand it is with the, the gynecologist, the professor, the guy who wants to be like stepped on and yeah. like spit in his face and everything. Yeah, yeah. That, That's her like trying to, I think she kind of is... Um, she again like her words don't really match like what mm-hmm. i think she's thinking because she's saying like how can anybody like g- get so low like i don't understand this disgusts me well she's a, exactly... she's a submissive though yeah uh-huh. yeah yeah she's she she's not a she's not a, is she a masochist or she seems or submissive to... i'm not for sure yeah i think i'm not really sure though what the correct yeah way to term her would be yeah well i mean she she can't really take the role of the Marquez that he wants because she's just not, she's not that person though. She can't be the dom. Uh She can't be the dominant one though. I think that's part of what's happening in that scene as well. Yeah. It's like when she tries to play along and and, and she's she's just terrible "Um, at it. No. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, is that what I'm supposed to say? And he's just like, no, 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 you're doing this wrong. (laughs) I got like that and bring Charlotte in. (laughs) Yeah. Because her other, when we see her liaisons, um, I mean, you don't see them. I mean, when you see yeah. sort of the before and after of them, they are all kind of. Uh, she's not the dominant in any. She's not. <laughs> she's not whipping anybody. She's not <laughs> doing any of that kind of stuff. She's. She's. Uh, she's the masochist, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, even in her fantasy, after that first sort of encounter that she leaves on, it's Pierre and. Hassan mm-hmm. having oh, the, the bulls having you know cleaning up the the <laughs> the bowl shit <laughs> putting it in a bucket she's where she's tied up wearing a white dress well, and they throw it at her well the first that he has um our bulls given names like cats what are the names the that cats he says? thing gets brought up a lot too did you notice that because she says don't let the cats out early in the film and then at the end you hear the meowing of a cat you do? Multiple times <laughs> while they're having their fantasy conversation. So I don't know what the cat thing means. I don't remember that. Yeah, but cats huh. cats come up multiple times too. Um, and, you know, hmm. there's also the, the whip that the gynecologist has is a, a cat of nine tails. Cat of nine tails. Sure. I mean, so there is, there's some significance to cats uh, that would take me another three or four times watching this to fully grasp, well, I think. Hmm. Um yeah, well, now so. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna have to watch it again. Darn. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, no, but, but he says, "Okay, are the bulls given names like cats?" And Husan says, uh, "Most are called remorse, but that last one is expiation, which is like uh, 
making amends for you know guilty feelings or anything sure. so yeah she's feeling remorse for what she's doing and they're calling again they're yeah they're calling her names and the slinging in the mud at her and i love the way that that was shot too where she like barely the way that it's cut she barely yeah. flinches whenever the mud yeah. hits her like right in the face it's like, almost she's like wearing she's wearing white she, you know his innocence yeah or, yeah she's almost like a i deserve this is what she seems mm-hmm. to be thinking you know i'm keeping this quiet from him i'm hiding this thing from a good man that i care about <laughs> um so i i just i don't know i find that a fascinating thing well then she disappears for a week yep. before she goes back yeah though because there's something about that whole thing that that draws her in which again like I kind of get it. I kind of get like when she's starting, when she goes in there and she sees the kind of stuff that goes on with um, Mr. Rodolphe and the way that he interacts with the other girls that work there, um, Charlotte and Mathilde, the redhead, which I thought you might like that. <laughs> she's cute. You don't think she's cute? Uh, she's, uh, uh. Uh, she's intrigued by this whole world. And I think especially the way that it's, the way that it's run with Anise, like it, it is more like high class, and the girls, they are chosen by the men, but they're still they ha- still have a choice, you know, with whether or not they can say no to certain things. Like we see her right. Matilda say no, so there is a little bit of uh, stuff that's in something that's in her control, and um, being able to see like the way these people are so open with uh, their sexuality and like kind of flaunting it um, in a way just because they're confident and you know that's not a bad way to be at all like that I think that's kind of intrigues her more to keep exploring what she's fantasizing about and like maybe this could be a way to do that and is it wrong that she's doing it you know without her husband knowing and you know she's having sex with other men okay yeah I mean I can't argue that at all but I also I understand that it sometimes those kind of things are easier to explore with strangers than with, you know, people that, you know, like, like I said, like, ex- sometimes revealing maybe those kind of fantasies or things that you think about or things that you want to do is hard to do with people that you really care about for fear of judgment. Rejection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And rejection. Sure. Sure. So I understand, like, uh, I have never done anything like she does in, in the movie and nothing like in person when I won. But I'll say that I have virtually dabbled in this sort of industry and I, I used it as a way to gain my self-confidence back and uh, be more sexually self-confident and f- figure some stuff out about myself. And it really helped a lot. And that's why... I kind of understood like her motivations for going this route to to explore those things about herself because uh, sometimes doing it in a more anonymous way, you know, she doesn't use her own name. Uh, nobody mm-hmm. there knows her name. She takes on the name Belle du Jour because mm-hmm. she only works from two to five during the day. Um, it's just sometimes it's just it's always it's that thing of like it's easier to talk about sometimes like with just online interactions like sometimes it's easier to just like say really personal things out loud for thousands of people to hear online than it is to talk about it one-on-one with somebody that you know you know just to Mm -hmm. like because it's not so personal it's like you just put out into the void and like maybe maybe someone will hear you like sometimes that's a little bit more cathartic sure and so that's what i kind of equate it to it's like it's a little bit more 
I don't really know how to say it. It's just sometimes it's just easier to to connect with strangers that you may never see or talk to again than it is with somebody that you know. True. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of weird details. Can I bring up? <laughs> They're a little off the sure. subject. Just ignore all that. <laughs> no, I I agree with you. I don't think I have anything I can add to it. Is what I'm saying. So. The coat that she wears, the black raincoat, uh-huh. it's really, really similar to the one that Ellie and Sandy wear in <laughs> Last Night in Soho, except that one's white. Yeah. Yeah. That, she has that black shiny one when she's talking, yeah. when Pierre is asking about how he wants a child. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, and she's wearing it in this, or around this time too, when she goes back to the, uh, to Anais's. And she has the, <laughs> she's... <laughs> When she's asked to watch... Now, this is one of the things that I, I wrote you yesterday and I said, you know, I feel like there's a sort of filmmaking subtext <laughs> going on here, you know, about how Buñuel defines cinema, more or less. One of the things I found really interesting was when Anais has her watch through the peephole, mm-hmm. what's going on, he doesn't shoot it through the peephole like Hitchcock would. He shoots it just like any other scene in the movie. So... Mm-hmm. She's not the voyeur. We are. We are. So we are watching this movie. We are the voyeurs. And there's a line in Last Night in Soho where, and I'll use Diana Riggs' word, you know, a whore is like an actress mm-hmm. in a way. You know, and I think I think there's an element of that here. Like you have an actress who is agreeing to be in these fantasies that we are having collectively called movies. And then at the end of that role, she just kind of gets shoved out until someone else says, hey, you can come in and be in this one, too. And I think there's sort of this um, sense of stalking the celebrity, wanting to have the celebrity all to yourself um, as the movie goes on. These are just things okay. that I'm, I'm yeah. spitballing it a little <laughs> bit. I think it's buried pretty deep in the subtext. But I got uh, most great movies have some element of them that is about making movies or a comment on movies. And so I I have a feeling that that's in there and I don't know how to articulate that entirely, but um, that's some of the feelings that I got while I was watching it. I can sort of see that. Yeah. Now that you say it. I just didn't think about it, <laughs> so I don't yeah. have anything to add to it either. So yeah, and it's like you know, that's a cool it, point. Eventually, to the point where you know she's like, "Hey, I'm I'm an actress. I'm famous. I'm doing my." The people come to see her. Uh-huh. she's the you know, popular. She's the draw she's, of the place. She's now. the she's the star. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I think that um th- those things come through in this, and eventually it gets to the point though where she feels like, okay, now that I'm doing this, I, I can't leave it <laughs> either, you know, towards the, uh, when, when things get more intense with Marcel in particular. Uh, it's very easy to get wrapped up in the fantasy yourself when you're the object of yeah. the fantasy. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You yeah. can kind of drunk on the attention and mm-hmm. kind of strokes your ego a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I but I love watching her like after after that f- first thing with um 
Mr. Adolf, as they call him, and the gynecologist. And she kind of fails at both of those. And then the when the Asian guy shows up, she is immediately like trying to make herself attractive, you know, mm-hmm. to him. And when she she goes right up to him and like, you know, puts her Just, arms like, around him and, and gives and, gives yeah. him a kiss yeah. on the cheek and everything. She's so much more confident around these guys now. And that's just I thought it was just kind of a nice thing to see because it's always nice seeing a, a beautiful woman like get her confidence back. Like that's sure. something you should have always had. And yeah, <laughs> this one is kind of weird. <laughs> when she comes in and she picks up the towel and there's a spot of blood on it, like I said, like like she's lost her virginity, whether that's figurative or literal. It could it, be. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. But, you know, it's like she's the woman saying, you know, some the who's sort of cleaning the place up. So it must be hard sometimes. Yeah. And then she kind of picks her head up and she's looks extraordinarily satisfied. Uh, you know, that's, that's the criterion cover shot. Yep. You know, one of the things that's also really weird, it's just, and it's only this one scene is, uh, her daughter is in this sequence too. And that's creepy. It's, it's a little so bit creepy. creepy because because you know the 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 same guy, you know, kind of hits on her on the young girl. And Marcel's like, boss, yeah, yeah. It's very <laughs> it's, disturbing. Oh no, what does he say? He says, "Are is she old enough to be tickled yet?" And it's like, oh, shut right. the fuck up, you gross yeah. motherfucker. Yeah. yeah, and he has uh, this. This guy is literally just finished, you know. <laughs> with this other person and before before he says these things and and you know is it alice is that her name she just opens the door and ushers him out mm-hmm. okay and it's like this is something that happens no, palace and palace i'm sorry you're right yeah and says to then says to her daughter it's like just go upstairs and do your homework mm-hmm. you know like this has happened this is a regular occurrence which it probably is because i think a lot of these guys are just kind of gross kind of gross Kind of gross. And that's that's an interesting element of them is none of them are nearly as, I mean, even in the same league as far as attractiveness goes, at least in my opinion, to her husband. <laughs> you know, um, it, it's just. The guy with the box. I don't know. He's pretty cute. I like him. <laughs> the guy with the box? Yeah. The With the fly in the box? I don't, you don't know what it is. You can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, he's sort of a big teddy bear looking kind of guy, yeah, I guess. I thought okay. he was cute. Okay. I thought he was cute. Okay. I mean, the way he's just like talking and like ringing his little bells while they're both getting yeah, undressed. Okay. And she just has the biggest smile on his fa- her face. Sure. I think she really likes him. That's why she, I think, enjoys that encounter a little bit more because she actually likes this guy. Sure. For once she, she finds him amusing and cute and fun, I think. And uh, despite whatever is in the box, I don't know, maybe it's some yeah. kind of like yeah. sex toy. I don't sure. know. But in, one of the things that's <laughs> it's buzzing, which yeah. uh, is kind of nice. One of the things that's <laughs> interesting is the fly, uh, the fly, I'm sorry, the bell that he uses the bells though. And that mm-hmm. is one of, because that is one of the signifiers of fantasy. Yeah. And I think that is really. I uh, hadn't thought of that, but, yeah. but but the thing is, uh, I mean, it doesn't play that way. Mm-mm. But at the same time, it could be. So I I think that is a an, a, a fascinating element of of this movie is is you don't always know 
if there are elements of it that are fantasy and elements of it that are not, or it could be a little of both happening at the same time, uh, or it could be completely fantasy or completely reality. And I think that this is the one scene where it's like, you really don't have any way of knowing one way or the other. There are indicators to both. Thinking about it after, cause I hadn't thought about that when I rewatched it, but when you said that off mic initially, like the first thing that kind of came to my mind that, um, I don't know, I hadn't really thought through a whole lot, but is that she only enjoys herself in the fantasies, right? Right. And so this is the first time that she enjoys herself. So maybe it's kind of like a, that, that kind of melding of it. That fantasy signif- coming that, into that reality. Signif- the fantasy yeah. is coming into reality. Like mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that could be, you know, and, and now the next sequence where the man Which pulls I, up in the carriage. Well, first he this just is kinda, definitely she, a fantasy, right? Well, at first she's just like sitting somewhere outside, like in front of a carousel or something, just like having a coffee or whatever, and mm-hmm. like a random dude comes up to her and is like, "I I have a job for you. I live about an hour outside of Paris. If you'll come, and I'll pay you a lot if you." come do this thing for what does he say like do you like money <laughs> yeah she's like yeah yeah <laughs> and he says they'll pay her a lot if she comes to his house and does this thing and yes they do arrive to his house in a horse-drawn carriage which yeah. i was i didn't thought about that um the first time but i was like now i'm thinking that this is a fantasy as well because that's that is a big signifier of fantasy, but I, I hadn't really had time now to think about what exactly that that means. It's, if it's, it, I think it's, it's I think it's something having to do with her relationship with Pierre because she's oh, playing yeah, like totally the does. dead wife, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Well, no daughter. Daughter he says daughter, and then he like okay, <laughs> like goes under her casket and starts apparently pleasuring himself it's very strange yeah okay it's pretty gross and he's filming it he's got he's got he brings out his video not his video camera his film camera and he sets it up it doesn't actually set the crank moving but (laughs) it you know what makes me think it makes me think of peeping tom yeah the camera looks a lot like that one and there were definitely hitchcock and peeping tom vibes in this movie from time to time uh and this was one of them and but this one it's it's almost funny but it's also really really gross if you think about it too hard uh uh so i must have forgot the fact that he said daughter okay (laughs) he says daughter and it's just like uh you're so cold and all this and uh and doesn't actually have sex with her yeah just he has her wear he has her be like totally naked underneath this like long black veil dress thing and just lie in this coffin which i'm gonna say throughout this whole movie not gonna kink shame anybody but that's a little weird yeah when it was (laughs) over when it's over though is where it gets really interesting because the butler just says get out it's like Mm -hmm. but it's raining it's like yeah exactly get out and so that also is part of this fantasy is that sort of because there's the guilt attached to yeah i mean having to walk home a mile in the rain more than that he said he lives an hour outside of paris an hour that's what i meant yeah not a mile an hour so she would have to walk home an hour um and but then you know they show her the next shot she's at home but then the rain is also a a cleansing washing away of sin it's baptismal yeah yeah so (laughs) Yeah, I was watching this again. I was like, oh, Brian's going to like all the little religious stuff in this. <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't brought any of it up yet. <laughs> hey, I don't think it's that significant, to be honest. 
<laughs> I don't think I don't think it is either. Yeah, it's it doesn't undergird the core of the movie. Yeah, the next one is when she asks if she can get into bed with Pierre. Yeah, which is which is big for them, you know. Mm-hmm. And I like what she keeps saying, like throughout the movie, like as she's exploring the side of herself, as she's, yeah, okay, she's she's cheating on him, but she keeps saying too that that she feels like she understands him better. That she keeps feeling like as she gets closer to being who she really needs to be. That she feeling she's feeling closer to him at the same time. Yeah, and I believe her when she says that. You know, I, I believe that. that I do that's too. Just kind of the journey that she's got to take. Like you can't. It's a thing. Like you can't fully love somebody until you love yourself, right? Yeah. Until yeah, you fully yeah. understand yourself, you can't connect with somebody unless you understand yourself a little bit more. I think, and uh, so I, I really do believe it when she says stuff like that. When she feels, she keeps saying, "I feel like even though she seems like she's getting like physically further away from him, like getting more involved in her her other the other part of her life, her double life at the brothel, she keeps saying that she's getting feeling closer to him, mm-hmm. which I like that." Yeah, and and I believe her. When they show them together, when they show them together, she seems much more content to be with him. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like happier to be with him as the movie goes on. Because there are a few scenes they have together that are like that. They feel much more affectionate, I guess. Yeah, because she's working through that block that she has. You know, yeah. That's kind of what I was uh, feeling as it was going on. And then there's another, so much of this movie is like kind of, yeah, subtly funny. Like that scene with um, the guy at his house and then this little like flashback slash fantasy that she has when. Is it, um, and the thing is, part of me wonders, is it, is it her or is it Pierre's fantasy? His, his like a dream because they, they fixate on him. In this, because he he's like they're under the table, and she asks, and 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 the and says, well, what are they doing? And and he says, I don't want to look. I just want you to tell me. And then he says, oh, there's a packet of lily seeds, which is you know pregnancy, you know something that he is wanting to, like, you know she's <laughs> getting uh, fertilized. Uh, <laughs> so it's, a, it's just such a funny thing when like it's, it, yeah, it's Pierre it's a funny Renee. scene. And then yeah. uh, uh, Severina and Husan go under the table and like the table just starts like banging and they're just like sitting. Yeah. They're so blase about it. It's hilarious the way that it's shot. Yeah. Yeah. But I, as I thought about that one more, I was like, I, there's no reason to think that because yeah. all of, none of them have been Pierre's dreams, but this could be like, cause he, I feel like, I think he's sensing something because of that scene at the beach later. Mm-hmm. He, he's he got a feeling. He's got an inkling that something is up. And it makes me wonder if this scene is actually Pierre's dream. You know, like he knows that something is going on. Or it's her fear that he's or, starting yeah. to suspect that something yeah. is going on. Yeah, exactly. And it, which is sort of confirmed in the scene at the beach. But first we meet Marcel in... Hippolyte. Yeah. Hippolyte. The Spaniard. <sighs> the Spaniards. So, so, I don't like either um, one of them. They don't say Marcel's <laughs> name for a really long time, too, which I find he's got a companion with him. He's got someone with him. Oh, he's my friend. Is uh, oh, finally yeah. they just sort of throw out his name, Marcel. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, but she's really drawn to this guy, to Marcel. I, I get and it, but I'm just like, like no. <laughs> and even says, you know, if you like, I won't charge you. 
She mm-hmm. just wants him no matter what. It, it doesn't have anything to do with – she actually is like – but then – he like rejects her because she has a birthmark, but ends up staying after but, all. But and he has a scar. He's got a scar. <laughs> scar. And, he's and, got the yeah. gold teeth where he got all of his front teeth knocked, teeth out. knocked out. So it's yeah. like you ain't exactly a prize yourself, babe. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. So and, the know, thing that turned so... me off the most about them, though, like even before uh, Marcel goes alone with Bell, is that we've seen all different kinds of clients come into this place uh-huh. before, right? Yeah. And some of them, like Mr. Adolfo is a little bit aggressive when he shouldn't be, when he should respect boundaries, you know, that are pretty obvious that Bell was yeah. putting up at first. And there's some that just like have little kinks that they all have. I think they all have a, a respect for them you know, at the same time. This is the first time where you kind of get the guys that y- you wouldn't really want as a client because um, um, Hippolyte says something when Marcel says that he wants to take Bell. He says something. His boss says, like, uh, we're not going to fight over some slut. And he means that word, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he does. Like, Absolutely. Of course he does. Uh-huh. And... That's the as as many times as you hear like that word like when other in her fantasies when people are calling her a slut and a horror and stuff, she kind of she likes it and you know there's some people that enjoy that, uh, being called that kind of stuff like having that kind of fantasy in in bed but you know you don't actually mean it it's just like a fun game that you play like when you hear somebody that means it though like you can tell and he means mm-hmm. that. And that really, that's a big turnoff, <laughs> big yeah. turnoff, not having the respect. Like that's also a big red flag, you know, Yeah. whether or not you want to do business with him. Yeah. Well, I mean, and the thing about Marcel is she is genuinely attracted to him, but only sexually. Because mm-hmm. he gives her what she needs. Yeah. Because like later, uh, there's that other scene where they're together and she's like, uh, he he wants more of her. He wants her all the time, he says, mm-hmm. and things like that. And she's like, no, I'm in love with someone else. He fulfills her sexually, but her husband fulfills her in every other yeah. way. And so there's that issue going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the scene in the beach sort of confirms that Pierre knows that something is going on. It's like that there must, there's clearly another man <laughs> and he yeah. he doesn't realize that it's more than that that it's something else entirely but he's definitely has the sense of it all and that seems really sad i mean because she doesn't want to lose him either i don't think no there's no there's not. a clear indication that she genuinely loves pierre well because what does she say or what do we hear her thoughts Actually, it's not something she actually says out loud. Yeah. She says, what I feel for you isn't about pleasure. It's so much more than that. Exactly. And that may be, you know, as she comes to understand herself and if he finds out about this, if he comes to understand her in that way too, maybe there could be a mesh that he could eventually be both for her that she needs, you know. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they don't ever get to that point. <laughs> That's right. And I think but, that what happens at the end is sort of the indicator that I find really fascinating with their relationship when it comes yeah. around there. So, but before we get to that, let's cover right. the, because the, I mean, this is, this sort of becomes a crime movie. It becomes breathless for a while here in, in, <laughs> in this prophecy. section. Well, that's okay. It's, never mind. I won't, I won't <gasps> say it. Oh, are you good? Okay. 
What? <laughs> Are you going to say something bad about Breathless? It's a very innovative film. <laughs> an influential film. <laughs> but uh, let's just say Godard made better movies. <laughs> okay. okay. Anyway, um, it's not bad. I, I don't hate Breathless. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want that to be the implication. It's not a bad movie by any stretch, but it, it's just not one of my favorites. I'll put it that way. Well, and, and when, we but when find... she comes back, when Marcel and her like reunite after she's been out of town and he's all yeah. upset that she was gone. And, well, but then that's that's that whole conversation where it's like, you know, I I want you, but I love someone else, you know, mm-hmm. is essentially what she's saying. Um, and he's not OK with that. And he doesn't get it because he asks, you know, why are you here if you love him? And she's yeah. like, those are two different things. Which right. I yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's she's not here looking for the kind of love that she has with Pierre. Like she already has that. She's here for some other the other side of herself that she that needs he can to. offer at this time. Yeah, because he doesn't. And part of the problem is because she won't tell him. You know, I, I think that is one of the issues that Severine has too. Is that True. if she had s- spoken to her husband and said, you know what. This is my issue. <laughs> this is this is this is what I need, my man. Um, right. He would probably be happy to give it to her. Just say it. <laughs> Maybe you know. But then, yeah, there's also that fear of of judgment for yeah, that yeah. needing that kind of thing because they're like what they're high class, they're, high they're society. Very young. Yeah. And, well, but they're also like kind of bougie, bourgeois, you know. They are. So yeah. they're, they're not. We're not supposed to be into that kind of stuff. We're supposed to be like, mm-hmm. I guess, vanilla, you know. But sure. Why though? But so I think there's right. fear. There's definitely fear in revealing the rich, those kind of the fantasies. The rich can afford to be eccentric. Come on. Again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? It's like that 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 line from Batman. Rich. You know why they're so odd? Because they can afford to be. Right. So I like that little um, foreboding thing where the duel, or no, where um, they're she and Pierre are just kind of talking, and that's when he says like what he really wants. You know, he wants a child pretty soon, right? And then he just kind of stops and looks very forebodingly at this empty wheelchair. wheelchair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's one of the scenes where I think they show genuine affection for each other. Absolutely, yeah. Because he's like, you look so much happier now yeah. in that scene, too, is what he says. And she genuinely does. Like, the smile that she's giving, she's, like, genuinely happy. One of the only times you see it, really, in the movie. Yeah, they're far more, they feel far more drawn to each other at mm-hmm. this point than they do at any other point in the movie, which is interesting. Um, now, the, one of the things is I find really scary, you know, if I was... Bell, uh, that Marcel is able to find out who she is and yeah. where she lives. Uh, yeah. That she's like he just guy not, follow her home, right? right. She's just not as anonymous as she thinks she is. And I know that can be frightening as to people that work in the industry. You know how closely they need to guard themselves because uh, mm-hmm. there are creeps and dangerous people that can harm them and would. You know, seek. Oh, you, uh, you fulfill this fantasy of mine, so I own you. I have every right to take that fantasy from you, and that is frightening. I, I think that is a reality, though. And so, people in various, you know, whether it's the actual porn industry or 
even like cam work or whatever like cam that girls only fans girls yeah yeah all, all those different avenues that that are out there that just kind of open you up to some real frightening possibilities you just got to be extraordinarily careful which is why there are so many safeguards on only fans and various yep. sites and things oh, like God. that too there yeah <laughs> yeah um which is which is important that. it's important mm-hmm. yeah that that be the case you can enjoy it so much but there's definitely a part where that you d- have to keep your diligence yeah there's got to be boundaries yeah. absolutely yeah. Mm-hmm. and if you have somebody that doesn't respect them get rid of you them you got to block them yep got to get, get rid, rid of them, them right away mm-hmm. that's that's not how it works or you are a little bit more forceful with your boundaries <laughs> and yeah. make them respected because and that's why i kind of like the portrayal of all different kinds of clients in this movie yeah. Said there's the ones like Marcel and um, how do you say his name? Hip, Hippo, Hippolyte, Hippo, I think. Hippolyte, yeah. isn't that like the? Anyway, yeah, it's a it's a Greek god, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's just okay. the French pronunciation <laughs> of that. Yeah. There's guys like them that are, are completely disrespectful and who I would never deal with. And then there are the guys that are yeah, they're a little eccentric and they have their kinks or whatever, but they they don't go too far and you give them what they want and like that's that's a business exchange you know that right. works out mm-hmm. pretty well there's got to be the the respect yeah and this is definitely breaking a boundary is to show up at her house well first yeah. um first Hussan shows up at yes that's right mm-hmm. at and they kind of um she shows up he shows up at the brothel and they kind of have it out and okay so he keeps saying throughout the movie too that he really admires pierre do you he's so smug and stuff throughout the movie with like everything and he says i have a hard time believing anything that comes out of his mouth but i kind of believe it when he says this when he says that he admires pierre at least or that he just thinks he's a really good guy and that maybe he wishes he could be more well, like he him. wishes he could be like him because i think he's, he's uh, got infatuated severine. with <laughs> severine right because i mean she show he shows up to their house when she's home uh, by herself and, and i love that uh, <laughs> and she says tell him i'm not here and he can hear her you know because she's literally in the next room yeah yeah he's like taking off his coat and then he hears that and he starts putting his coat back on I was, and yeah. i kind of liked that because i don't like him <laughs> he's a he's a slime ball he's really he is. uh and you don't even need to know that much about him to know that he's just kind of yeah and he's another one of the ones that just doesn't have respect and he doesn't even try like she's trying to like in um, in this confrontation that they have she's saying like please try to understand she says i can't help it i can't fight it and he's just again like so sm- he says something like i have principles unlike you like <laughs> really, which dude? is it's such a huge Shut double standard i because, know right <laughs> i mean he's Attend he's you are, frequenting client. this place. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. That's yeah. why I don't like him. Is that he just he's just so smug to her and he's saying that he's gonna tell Pierre and everything and and she says at the end of their scene too that she like she knows she'll have to atone for all of this one day. Well and in her fantasy, which, I mean, she gets shot, you know, and she's sort of tied mm-hmm. to a tree, which is very crucifixion like to bring Pierre in the, and his honor yeah. like a little quick draw fight or whatever yeah yeah and they both shoot her uh-huh. you know they don't they sh- both shoot and they she's the one they get shot 
and he and Pierre comes over and just sort of kisses her and tries to heal her as it is I, is the way is the way that I read it anyway. He's genuinely affectionate toward her, even he has knowing concern for her. Yeah, even though doesn't. he's probably at this point is implying that he knows, and you know, I think that's the part of what's going on in that particular dream sequence or whatever you want mm-hmm. to call it. Because we never get anything with Pierre really after that one scene that the two of them have together. Because then it's just about her and um, Hassan, and then her uh, she's she quits. Um, I like that little scene where she quits with uh, with Anais and she because um, in their first interaction when she was so nervous about starting to work and uh, and he's like kisses her on the lips and she tries and Belle like tries yeah. to kiss her goodbye, but Anise turns away. Yeah, and then this case Belle, sort of... Belle kisses her or tries to. Yeah. And I think there's some, I think there's some inner um, attraction there between. Oh yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So that's that's pretty clear. Um, yeah. Because then but, Marcel shows up at her house. Yeah. And have the they have the whole thing out, and he calls Pierre uh, an obstacle as yeah. he leaves. Like he's he looks at a picture of him, so. He, he knows, he knows what, what he looks, looks like. like. He knows what he's looking for, and he's and he he must he stakes out in front of the house is what he does in yeah. the car, and yeah. uh, shoots. Well, and it just and it it's interesting how they shoot it uh, or how Bunuel shoots it because he shoots it from inside the apartment, and so yeah. you just hear, you the, hear the hear the gunshots and uh, Severine goes outside, looks down, and sees someone. We know it's Pierre laying on the sidewalk who has been shot and then sees the car who is that is being driven by Marcel drive away. Um, He gets in a car accident. He um, chased by the police. Yeah. Chased by the police. He shoots at the police. The police shoot him. He's dead. Um, And so that which brings us to the end. Okay, (laughs) now the Pierre's paralyzed. Now he's got something with his eye and he's blind and. She has to make him these medicines. It's like, yo, you're getting a lot better. And she's doing her cross stitch and everything. Well, also, okay. What I meant about her outfit in this is that she's wearing the black dress with a white collar and white cuffs. So I was kind of thinking, and um, Husan comes over and says that she looks like a schoolgirl. But to me, I was thinking more like a nun. Sure. That's yeah. what the outfit mm-hmm. is kind of evocative mm-hmm. of, like kind of her trying well, I mean, to retreat back to, to her innocent state. Now. <laughs> yeah, like her trying to retreat back to that state. Yeah. Maybe. Because, yeah. okay, how I saw, like, when all this time she's talking about, like, atoning for what she's done, I always, not always, I've only seen this a couple of times, but like, my kind of my first feeling was that Pierre getting hurt was her punishment. That's what I kind of thought the movie was saying, in a way, for well, what she did. I, and I think the fantasy more or less confirms that. Because yeah. um, here's what I think. Okay. Now, she makes a medicine. Uh, Hussan sh- or shows up and yeah. says he's going to tell Pierre everything, which he does. And we go back in. Does he? And, well, you see tears. You see tears. We don't hear so it. We don't hear him. You assume it. But we don't know for sure. That's that's correct. But he does have tears on his face. Mm-hmm. But then it goes into the fantasy. You hear the the bells again, 
and Pierre takes off the glasses and he takes off the glasses, stands up and gets up. And my thought is now that she can't have him sexually, now she wants him. That's true. Yeah. That it's like she realizes that, you know, through all of this, what I wanted was here, but now I can't have it. So now I really want it, which is, um, kind of the way life goes sometimes it's like you want what you can't have (laughs) you want most what you can't have you know can't see what's right in front of you kind of thing yeah exactly exactly and you know all of that is taken away i mean they still have their wealth but how long is that going to last i mean are they going to because he can't perform his job anymore are they going to is the insurance that good i mean are they (laughs) going to be able to cover this how long is this going to last is another question and that's where that uh superimposition comes in is after he's brought home they show the autumn leaves of where of the opening sequence over their house it's like fantasy and reality are on top of each other in that point uh in this so i don't know how much of this ending sequence whether hassan actually did come in and say this or is that's just part of her um, he sort seems of fantasy to fantasy as well. It's hard to say. I mean, he seems to delight in humiliation, especially Absolutely. of Severine throughout the movie. Yeah. So, which is yeah, interesting that sure. she, she the, he offers yeah. that thing that that she is into her kink, but she can't stand him. She will not. I don't know. He's she doing would it not the right be way. with him. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't take the right approach to it. He's mm. he's actually trying to humiliate her, <laughs> right? Because he f- thinks that he's better than than she is. Like I think he's another one of those that just kind of sees her and like women in her industry as sluts and whores. Sure. You know? Which is why I you know I don't really I, I I do get it like that reading of it, but I I guess I just don't really like the fact that she needs to be punished for what she did well i don't i think that's that's it's not it's not the universe or the movie or whatever saying that she should be punished it's herself that feels that way Uh, oh agree agree with her or not that's how she feels I just see both sides of it. No, I understand why she would feel guilty. Absolutely. Like, she did all this behind his back and never, you know, said anything to him or anything about it. Absolutely. Like, she has some kind of guilt about it. But she definitely got something good out of it, too, I think, you know, for herself. Which is why I can't... I I see... Yeah. There's definitely both sides of of that. You know, which is most of life, honestly. I mean, everything (laughs) is a mixture, right? Yeah. There are good things about... We were talking about this in our social media episode. I mean, there are really good things and really, really dark things about that. And that That happens here, too. goes into the next movie, too. Yeah. And I think that there's there's a lot, you know, that is mixture. I mean, in, in my own experience, I had this infatuation with someone. But, hey, it got me in shape. It got me addicted to the gym and loving getting my health and <laughs> health go. back. It raised my confidence to a new level. I never probably would have done writing and things like that if it hadn't been for that particular situation. I mean, this was a virtual thing. As someone I became sort of very close to, sort of, uh, via social media, Snapchat in that mm-hmm. case. And it was just like, it, it would just became unhealthy in a lot of ways too, though. So, mm-hmm. I mean, but there, I'm not going to deny that there were good things that came out of it too. 
That's that's what I'm saying too. I'm not yeah. saying like so, that the movie so, is mean, bad or wrong for what it says. It's just like yeah, you, there's yeah, you can definitely see both sides of it, and that's what yeah. makes it so complicated and like yeah. hard at the end. Well, and, for, and, and, just and for her character. Case, yeah, in my yeah. case, I mean, I, I felt like I needed to be punished, too, because I seriously hurt my wife emotionally, you know, sure. with that whole thing. So, I mean, this is years ago now, but it, it's just kind of a, it's a mixture. I mean, there there are these mm-hmm. these complicated things that happen in life. And so I, I think that there is definitely good that comes out of it for her too. But there's no denying mm-hmm. that if she hadn't done this, her husband would not be in the condition be- he's in. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, there are lots of things that are happening here that would not have happened without that. Yeah. But then just seeing it from her side too, I, I, I there's the stigma around it for sure, which is why you don't really want to sure. tell a lot of people about it or talk about it a whole lot. But my God, the, my confidence is through the roof more than it has been, I think in my entire life. And it mm-hmm. definitely, I get, yes, yeah, I would say it also motivated me to do other things it, to improve other areas of my life too, because mm-hmm. it just, uh, I got a, I got the boost that I needed. I got, um, it helped me get over certain things that I've been working on for years and years and years, you know, and I feel like I'm finally over these huge hurdles that I've been fighting for a long time. And sure, it's an unconventional way to go about the healing process, but it's what absolutely worked for me. Mm -hmm. So I can just see it from her side. And that's why I felt so bad for her in that ending part. But Oh, I can I can see it from her side too. I mean, I, I yeah. definitely. There's no doubt about that. I mean, she's got it's a but what I mean is it's just with so much of life, it's a mixture. I mean, there are things that I know. are <laughs> good and there are things that are no matter what we do, it seems like it's there are going to be elements of bad in the good that are not Absolutely. intentional or elements of good in the bad depending on how you want to look at it, you know. And there's mm-hmm. There's lots of uh, ways to look at it. Absolutely. So that's that's Belle du Jour. We good? <laughs> Belle du Jour. Yeah. Belle du Jour. Love that movie. Okay. With Last Night in Soho, I have uh, an interesting thought that came to okay. mind. And I'm not saying I agree with this interpretation, but the opening sequence, it starts with that song, uh, the World Without Love song. The very mm-hmm. first line of that song is, please lock me away. And then she enters into this room that looks very small. And I'm wondering if there's an interpretation of this movie where she's insane and she's inside an institution. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, anyway, that's just <laughs> that just occurred to me. You know, I mean, I don't. I don't go what? there. I don't. That's not the way I go. But I think that no. there there is a discussion about mental health that they mm-hmm. bring up in this movie quite a bit, though. And I think that it's interesting the way the different characters react to it, too. You know, like the way Jocasta does, and the way <laughs> John does, and the way that. Uh, uh, Mrs. Collins and all the different characters do, I think, are just really interesting to to explore, uh, along with our story of uh, <laughs> 60s infatuation and nostalgia. That the is dangers clearly, of nostalgia. Yeah, is clearly at the heart of this movie as well. Uh-huh. Um, 
Anyway, doesn't that house feel miniature at the beginning, though? No. It feels small to me. It feels very small. And I love that about it. I kind of love this design of this movie. Okay, Last Night in Soho. Eloise Turner, played by played by Thomas and McKenzie. Thomas and McKenzie, yeah. Now, it, I got to admit, the first time I saw this, I wasn't really familiar with that familiar, I guess, with Thomas and McKenzie or Anya Taylor-Joy, even though I had seen some of their other movies. So now that I know what else is Thomas very much who I, but honestly, the first time I saw this, I couldn't feel like, I didn't feel like I could really tell the difference. <laughs> between the two of them. So I would sort of like, oh, that's her, then that's her, and switch back and forth. But now that I am... Oh, she's in Jojo Rabbit. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Now that I'm much more familiar with Anya Taylor-Joy, yeah. I can... It's <laughs> it's easier for me to sort of differentiate and sort of enjoy sort of the dance that's going on in this movie where they're alternating between the two actors uh, mm-hmm. in different sequences. is really cool. And it's sort of leveled up sort of the technical achievement that this is for me that they were able to pull this off is really remarkable i know some of it is digital but a lot of it is in camera and them just racing in and out of the shot from where the camera is and (laughs) and standing behind the cameraman or standing in front of the camera or i love that scene in shot or out it's incredible the dance sequence and everything. Oh, it's so good. Well, that scene and then just this first scene, too. I mean, uh, like one of the actresses said in like one of the behind the scenes things was that uh, almost all of Edgar Wright's movies have uh, there's a lot of like choreography and timing going on with the way that he shoots a lot of scenes. Like I you can definitely see it, obviously, in Baby Driver. Uh, you can see it in uh, Shaun of the Dead. Scott even Pilgrim. like Scott yeah. Pilgrim. Yeah. So that's one thing that he really likes and um that the actresses really have to be like on top of our actors and i just like that he has that kind of style because you can definitely see that as a a cool through line that he Mm -hmm. it's just another kind of thing like you said off mic it's one of those things where you see it you see how it was done and you're like oh this is why movies are just really cool you know (laughs) yeah i love the mirror stunts in this i mean the mirror stuff i mean this it it some of it rivals. I know it's probably inspired by Poltergeist Three stuff Poltergeist as 3. well. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> but it's just so well done. I mean, and this one also has digital enhancements that mm-hmm. that movie didn't have the advantage of either. So it's doing both, and I think that is this is for me a movie like this is the best way to use digital is to further enhance what is yeah. already in the camera. Yeah, and. I think it really works. So Ellie, I think it is an interesting little, is an interesting character. I mean, she's, she's the character we follow through the whole movie. She's in almost every Mm -hmm. scene of this. And uh, she's, they never really talk too much about, she's got a gift. She's got, yeah, yeah, it's second sight. She's got a bit of a sixth sense going on. And she, the, the, just the brief shots of her being able to see her deceased mom in the mirror. Uh, the I, young I, version yeah. of her, though, which I find interesting. Yeah. It's the young version of her mom. It's not an older version. They, yeah, they don't really talk about exactly what it is. I don't think it's just that she can see ghosts. No. You know? I think it's that she's just, her mind is more opened to that whole other world. Yeah, you know, she's in very a way, tuned, Where yeah. she can actually feel that kind of stuff. That's why she's able to, like, go 
you know, back in time in her dreams with Sandy. Right. And see things that she shouldn't be able to. I, I love the way that the, she's kind of set up in this first scene, though. Mm-hmm. She's just like so cute and mm-hmm. and young and Making innocent. Making dress going to the, out of Going to the big city. And, yeah. And she's in love with the 60s, too. She's got the mm-hmm. 60s posters all over her walls. Actual vinyl from the 60s, you know, not reissue stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> she, I, and I love it when she's packing. <laughs> And she packs all of her records and everything like that. And she says, aren't you missing something? Her grandmother says, aren't you missing something? Oh, yeah, socks. And she just takes her <laughs> sock drawer and pours it into her. <laughs> so she's, you get the sense she's a little bit absent-minded, too, uh, which is funny. She's just quirky. And I think that comes into play when she gets to the college, into the London College of Fashion, which is a real place. <clears throat> And they actually filmed some of it there. Uh, So she moves to Soho, the center of the world, you know, Carnaby Street and all that. She has... uh, It was the center of the world in the 60s. That's what she is obsessed with. Yeah, exactly. And I I just find that uh, interesting. Now, the the world, of course, that she gets to at the college is very much not the 60s. It's, It's not anything she's comfortable with at all. It's ultra modern and you've got um, (laughs) modern Jocasta is sort of to me Jocasta is sort of the epitome of the modern mean girl oh Jocasta is Regina George oh totally totally yeah because um, oh my god (laughs) the main character's name Ellie Ellie (laughs) wow (laughs) I just had a brain fart sorry because Ellie comes to the college makes a tells Jocasta her roommate you know that she's made her own clothes and so yeah Jocasta definitely does the Regina George thing of like oh my god I love that skirt where did you get it and then to her friends is that is the ugliest fucking skirt I've ever seen in my life yeah she's hilarious though I I love mean girls like her (laughs) in movies I can't help it (laughs) yeah they're so funny you kind of love to hate them yeah (laughs) those kinds of characters well and what this whole setup is so crazy like uh you know they go to the bar and everything and i like and the toast that meet she the does other friends so hoes to soho <laughs> <laughs> well one of the things that's also funny is you know she's we also learned something about ellie that her it's like oh we're we're both uh, jacosta says oh we're both part of the dead mom's club or something like that too it's like yeah leukemia you know, so, brave, cancer. so brave so brave so brave it's like what so happened brave. to your mom says well and she's really reluctant to say you know it's like uh she uh wasn't well um she uh she killed herself mentally yeah, yeah. and and which is again that's really important because a lot of people I think Jocasta and are are just assuming that she's just going crazy like her mom. Yeah. You know, I think that's the assumption. Whereas John, I think, has a very different reaction. I love John's reaction and we'll get to I that love later. John. But he's the yeah, best. it's so good. Um <laughs> and then they're like, Oh wow, that's so much bigger <laughs> than this other thing. It's like <laughs> so brave and like and it's like a genuine reaction and then Jocasta immediately needs to take the spotlight back. And, She's you know. such like she always has to one up. It's like oh yeah, my mom died when I was fifteen. How old were you? And Ellie is like seven. <laughs> so Jocasta's <laughs> like, oh that's worse than me. You know, internally that's just yeah. like throughout the whole movie she does that. She's like always trying to like She's, she's so like, trauma spiring. She's yeah. trauma spiring with her. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, which, you know, it takes us back to our social media episode. Right. It feels like, you know. Uh, anyway. Well, I think, well, when she's also getting to London, it also kind of sets up what the some of the themes of the movie are, too. I mean, it's nostalgia for anything, really, or kind of any kind of admiration for something is that you see that there's always some kind of, like, dark darkness mm-hmm. underneath. Like, when she's in the cab with the, the cab driver guy who's being a little bit gross yeah. to her... Like being a little invasive, asking too many questions, like where where he's dropping her off, you know, he like, okay, so now he knows where she lives and she's getting like, understandably a little worried, you know, it's just that, that her first indication that, you know, like there's bad people here. Yeah. You know, that there is a, there's an underbelly of darkness to this place that she's, you know, built up so much in her mind as like this perfect you know, Mecca yeah. of where she needs to be. You know, and that's, that's true of like, that's true of everything that ha- in this movie, like there's, yeah, you can't have such rose colored glasses for everything. That's right. That's, that's the big takeaway I think from this movie too, for is things and for people. Yeah. And she also sees Terrence stamp for the first time coming out of the glowing doorway. Girls, 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 yeah. You can also um, see on the telephone booth, you can see, like, um, like sex yes. advertisements, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's everywhere in that uh, is very interesting. And they don't say, I, I just say Terrence Stamp because, I mean, he's a recognizable <laughs> actor. I know. But they don't say his name. They don't say his name till the end till the of the end. movie. And I think that's uh, that is so well done. I mean, to give it. Have have it's just this iconic have this iconic My notes were actor to him or Terrence Stamp Terrence Stamp <laughs> the until they say his name at the end yeah, yeah. Uh, and then but I mean that first night the party and everything like that and she's trying to sleep and Jocasta runs in the door and is the guy, sleeping with yeah. the guy and throws her sweatshirt across the room and it hits. <laughs> she falls asleep in the so she's just she's a fish out of water she doesn't feel at home yeah. here uh so she decides to she's gonna move out um miss collins diana rigg is introduced um, well the the flyer very specifically says on you know there's a room for it's a little index card yeah it's not even why it even catches her eye i don't know but it could be just it's her, like it's fate her intuition mm-hmm. her intuition her yeah, yeah her feeling for it it says women so. only Women only. Yep. And that's important to her because she's afraid. I think it's not that she's afraid of any, just all men are just a little bit frightening in this place right now. I think, Mm -hmm. I I think it's interesting. Some of the things that Miss Collins says. Can we reveal the ending? I think we gotta, because we we talk about this. Because she's talking (laughs) at the beginning here. She's talking about, you know, uh, she said she used to work here. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Then she says, you'll wait till the summer when the smells rise up. Right. And then she says, oh, and I hope you, there's a French bistro and soon you won't be able to smell anything but garlic. She can never sell this place. It has too many memories too or many memories. Mm-hmm. too many bodies in the mm-hmm. floorboards. Yeah. <laughs> and know? and the smells are, the smells of that are covered up, uh, which I still don't. That's one of the I, things yeah. I still struggle with. I mean, the smell of a decomposing body in the walls, unless Several. she's using, unless she's using <laughs> lime or something like that to mummify them or something. It's going to smell. Okay. There's, it's not. Yeah. That's one of those movie things. 
where I was like, I, uh, what? It's, that's that a little works. bit of a stretch for me, but you know. But yes, I was, I was definitely watching Mrs. Collins, uh, Miss Collins very closely. <laughs> These yeah. scenes, like after having seen it, obviously, you kind of want to go back. And I found some of her lines like just enough, you know, to where it they doesn't give the, any, it doesn't give anything away. But when you know, it gives everything away. <laughs> exactly, which is what um, I love it. this is. That's what Edgar Wright does, though. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In every movie, he says what the plot is of the movie is going Absolutely. to be at the beginning of the movie, he says but that you don't in think about dead. it. He does it in <laughs> Shaun of the Dead. He says exactly what they're all going to do. <laughs> yep. And and that's a that's a common thing that he pulls through a lot of his movies. And so this the, here he's given away the ending right at the beginning. It's very well done, and it's fun to watch him play and continue to do that little trick. And I, one of the things that I think is really cool about this, I love the red, blue. White I was just gonna light. say something about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Outside the. The window is so cool. Um, it gives it. I wouldn't be able to. Fuck. I wouldn't be I able to sleep with that going on. <laughs> but it looks awesome. It seems to be the the transition, though. You know, between the present and the past. The present. I can't. Why can't I think of words today? It seems to be the transition between the present and when she goes to sleep. When she goes into the past. This transition is one of my favorite that I've ever experienced in a movie. Uh, I, I think this is where she just throws the oh, sheet the over her sheet. Yeah. and it just, the camera just backs out into eternity. I, I think that's amazing. And then she's walking down the alley. And when I saw this in the theater the first time, when she steps out and there's that Thunderball poster mm-hmm. and the lights and the music and everything, I got the biggest chills that I've had in a movie yeah. theater in a long time. It's just like, it's overwhelming with the sound going and the screen huge yeah. and everything. It was uh, incredible, which is why I had to go back the next day and see it again was I'm so just to try and get that. Yeah. yeah. It's just incredible. Cause what I thought that this movie was from the trailer that I saw, I remember like, cause you had seen it and I tried to like, you wouldn't really tell me what it was, which I, I liked because mm. it was kind of cool. Just kind of discovering that for yourself when you watch it. I thought this was, I couldn't really tell what the story was. It seemed like it was some kind of like time jump body swap yep. movie. Yep. And I loved that. That's not at all what it was. I loved what it ended up being, but that's a very cool, like, little trick that the trailer plays on you because what you what you mm-hmm. get is something a lot more than that i think that would have been a little bit boring i don't know there's yeah I, I, this is this is much more intriguing to me the way that this story is well what i find interesting is that it's sort of uh okay she walks into the cafe de paris you have the mirror transition i still am kind of like i don't entirely grasp how they did it all how they made the movements happen and everything but she, they see each other in the mirror, and then, so she sees Anya Taylor-Joy as Sandy on the other side of the mirror. They hit fingers, and then they switch places. And I think it's sort of like, so now she's in the mirror, Ellie's in the mirror, and Sandy is out in the world. And so I, I think that there's this wonderful switch between her observing mm-hmm. what's going on and experiencing what's going on. And it goes and it does both. And I think the scene where she meets Jack and they're dancing and that, that great scene where they're dancing. I love it. 
I mean, and you get the you get all those feelings like, oh, this is awesome. I mean, yeah, they, he's this this intriguing, handsome guy, um, Matt Smith, uh, my favorite Doctor Who, uh, okay. playing. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's, he's Jack. Yeah, he's Jack, and it's such a lively, engaging scene. You just feel the joy of it, the exuberance, the nostalgia. It's all completely rose colored. There's not a bad thing yep. going on. And then, you know, like the, that guy in the bar calls out and says, Hey, you know, why are you spending your time with that slut? And he goes over and punches, punches it, him and, uh, um, that comes back. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, and well, the, but again, there's also little hints yep. to the truth in this too, because yeah. before she meets Jack, she goes to talk to the, the bartender and like, you know, says, yeah, how do I get, I want to, I'm a singer. How do I get a job here? And he says to go talk to Jack and he says he manages a lot of girls. Yep. He knows what he's saying yep. <laughs> and that he's in on it, uh, which is just extra gross to me because he's yeah. not talking about he's not talking about talent management. Let's just say that. That's right. Well, I mean, and but I mean, this whole sequence is is just, you know, giving into Ellie's nostalgia for the 60s. Yeah, absolutely. Everything about it, everything about it is perfect. I mean, the clothes, the music. The dancing. The, the dancing. Everything about it is perfect. A lot of times the way people Even the drink. Back, that... The Vesper is a, is a James Bond drink. And you can't get it anymore. It's like a liqueur that doesn't exist anymore. So you okay. can't even get that drink anymore. I looked it up. Well... <laughs> Well, it's a, a, a Vesper is is uh, is the martini that oh, yeah. Ian Fleming created for Casino Royale for James ah. Bond. So the, this has the James Bond thing going on, which obviously in the 60s, James Bond was huge. I mean, look at the, you know, that Thunderball poster. I mean, that's no exaggeration. That was a big freaking deal. And it's successful now. But I mean, the way James Bond was in the 60s. I mean, come on. With Sean Connery in that role, that was a that was huge, and it, it's just everything is. It needs to be this perfect image because it's she's lured in. I mean, and she mm-hmm. has that moment where she's same see, way that Sandy is. Yeah, she sees that in the mirror, and you know, <laughs> she's sees herself being kissed by Jack when they're on the elevator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, in the elevator. She gets the hickey later on. <laughs> she gets the hickey. And so there's an element of like how much of how did she get the hickey? Did she really get it from Jack? Is it some sort of, you know, freak injury? Inflicted thing that she does when she's in yeah. her fantasies. Sure. Yeah. Or whatever she's whatever you would call this. Um it's not really a fantasy that she's having because it's the truth, but mm-hmm. She's just like like a, somehow somehow experiencing the past in real yeah. time. It's like a psychic echo. It's really clever. <laughs> okay, <there you> <laughs> I, I, I haven't seen anything quite like it in a movie. It's not time travel exactly. It's something no. else. And it's not entirely a dream either because we know that it's true. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's very just because she's in the place that Sandy inhabited. You know, she's somehow yeah. her spirit. Uh, she's drawn to her spirit somehow and is able yeah. to... Like we said, they don't really explain what exactly her gift is, but that's no. just something that she's able to do. Yeah, yeah. And you know, one of the things that's I find- good enough for some, me, honestly. I don't really care. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. Well, I mean, yeah. the thing is that, you know, the next, the next day I find it really interesting because, you know, she's 
started to have this little friendship with John come come along. And but she still he, like kind of ignores him. It's so it's yeah, kind of cute the way he, he's so sweet to her and he's uh. so sweet to her and it gives her the space too. You know, he's yeah. not forceful he's or stalkery yeah. or anything like that at all. But she turns down a date with him because she wants to spend time in this fantasy world. Uh-huh, yep. What what whatever this experience was, she wants to go back. Cuz when he's like, "Do you have plans tonight?" and she's like, "I do, actually." I, I do. <laughs> Which is kind of sad, but you also get it, especially when um they've already established that she's already so nostalgic for this time period anyway this is her like getting a chance to live that out mm-hmm. in a way that she n- never thought possible so of course she's drawn to it but again yeah. as the movie goes on that gets stripped away and that's kind of the point that the movie is making i think yeah yeah and now in this the second one you know the, the sandy is taken for her audition at the rialto Quote, uh, yeah exactly <laughs> and and you know it, anya taylor joy actually sings this mm, downtown. Uh, so, so downtown um and really she does a very like sexy yeah. version of it yeah, which i really yeah. like because the actual yeah. like recording is a little bit more like upbeat but she it's does a little more like, upbeat mm-hmm. she does a little like sexy thing in downtown i can't do it obviously yeah. but I yeah like it's it. a it's a She's little good. bit some of the affectations of her vocals are pretty modern, but okay. Uh, but it, it works. It works. It's and it's good. And that's the thing is is we know she's really does have talent. And she she has talent. And in that first scene with the the pink dress that Ani Taylor Joy looks amazing in, just mm-hmm. seeing this character, she's so freaking confident and full of life and just like. Maybe a little egotistical, but why shouldn't she be? Because like she's, she's just, trying to project confidence she, at least. I think she it, has a it, lot of confidence. Yeah, seems. like she goes right yeah. up to the bartender and is like, "I want a job." And she goes up to Jack, and then she goes mm-hmm. out on the dance floor. And it's uh, watching it again this time. It was like it just killed me. Like watching what happens to this character when she starts out so freaking cool and confident yeah. in that first scene. It's sort of opposite. Of what happens with Belle de Jour, and mm-hmm. it, it's yeah, she starts out confident and then she loses it because of what she's put through by these horrible men, mm-hmm. and and that's what it is. I mean, these are horrible men, is what is yeah. what it all comes down to, because I mean, and Jack essentially has her fooled and says, you know, sleep with me. I don't know. That's sort of quote unquote, I guess, an audition too. Um, which thinks is they're really going to be a couple. Yeah. yeah and and he's all. like, only if you're in it for the long run. And he says, I'll be with you till the end, which is a great line considering ah. what happens. Yeah. <laughs> and that's true. <laughs> and, but that's the thing. I mean, I think he's actually auditioning her sexually in that scene. Absolutely. When you, when you go back and watch it a second time, it's like, it's really gnarly and pretty disturbing uh, mm-hmm. ultimately. But, Ellie still sees it as this rose-colored thing. She's like, it's mm-hmm. romantic. Like, oh, this is her dream. She's getting her dream doing this audition and She's singing. Dr- mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's meeting this great guy who's going to take her there and you know get her where yeah. she wants to be. Yeah, and so she starts making herself over and getting her hair dyed blonde and sort of styled <laughs> like... 
I like love it. Sandy's. She, and she takes Sandy's lines too. Mm-hmm. She tries the little flirtatious thing on like, what's that's the least I could do for you. What's the most? I'm going to steal that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then when she gets her hair done, she does the, I can't fucking believe it thing. Like you, you don't yeah. really expect to hear the F word out of this um, no, innocent she's, little girl's yeah, voice. She's you kind know? <laughs> of mousy and doesn't yeah. have that kind of, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Even Tom, just Thomason's voice is, very childlike to me it is it is and i i think she's i I gotta say i really think she's terrific in this movie she is oh my god she's she's only 18 too she's so young yeah but she's the age of the character in this movie Mm -hmm. yeah she just does it so well now one of the things that she sees the Rialto across the street. Now, one of the things I think is interesting is, isn't it like a massage parlor? It's now? a massage parlor. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's just kind of an interesting um, little hint to it. I mean, it's probably a legit massage parlor in, in the current day, but but in, sure. but it does give the implication that right. of, of the reality of what Sandy is <laughs> being forced into here. Yeah. Which you can definitely get from the guy who's giving her the audition mm-hmm. at the Rialto. He doesn't give a shit. You know, you can tell that he doesn't care about her talents, even though he says like, so she can sing. It's not, it's not overt in him being like so gross, but it's just, you, you kind of get it that there's yeah. something else going on here. And it's just another one of those things where it's like, all of these guys are involved and it's just that more that dark underbelly of everything. Yeah. And then, you know, this is where, you know, she gets the job at the, the toucan bar, right? And the assumption is very much planted here that Terrence Stamp is Jack. Yes. In in the current day. Uh, and that's, you know, watch where you're going, girl, when he, she almost gets hit by the cab. <laughs> Again, <laughs> the ironies of it all, right? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's right. I didn't think of that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, up to this point, I, I wrote the note that I wrote here was fetishizing the past. And that is what Ellie is very much doing. I mean, she's just seeing this as everything about the 60s was great and everything about now is terrible. Right. And uh, I, uh, the recommendation I'm going to drop is very much about that, too. Okay. Um, <laughs> but then she goes back into then this is the switch well, this is where it all starts also, to change well also what i see in these two because again like just knowing the ending and knowing who these some of these characters end up being you kind of listen to their lines a little bit more and i think another thing that you get from this movie is just that everybody and everything is complicated and has two sides yeah and no one is no one is ever either like no one has ever like 100 percent the hero or the villain i think is what yeah. it's also trying to say because jack quote unquote terrence stamp <laughs> you know that who we think is jack here um in these first this first part of the movie is definitely that because he's his job implies that he would be a good guy but nothing he says is ever like very i don't know it's just it's he's unnerving not, he is very unnerving and very creepy. And, you know, when he asks, because um, cause she's got the hair, you know, that looks like Sandy, obviously, at this mm-hmm. point. And he asks, like, who her mom was. And she says her mom was dead. And he's just like, oh, yeah, most of them are. Most now. of them are. Yeah. And it's just, it, it's so, like, uh, it's another one of those things where he's, what he's saying, it does not match up at all with his affect or his tone. And yeah. he says, like, he doesn't really care. <laughs> he's a... Uh, 
I think he's so calloused, though. He's become yeah. so jaded by it all. I think, I think that's the problem. Was. He was jaded at the beginning, but he, I think he genuinely cares earlier. You know, when they show him as a, as a, in the 60s, I think he genuinely cares in the scene they show. I think he actually is, he's, he's putting on a front that he's not, but he's, uh, he does give her some advice that could have saved her but, life, too. Well, she's. But does he do enough? No, of course he doesn't. He doesn't do enough. No. <laughs> For any but of them that he talks no, about? No, he doesn't do enough. But he, uh, I think at that point, he just sees enough of them get sucked away, you know, they're <laughs> or die or overdose it. or whatever, that he's just so jaded. It's like, you know, what can I do? I think there's an That's element possible. of that, too. I know. just saw it as like. I'm playing devil's advocate here for. <laughs> For my man Terrence Stamp, because <laughs> frankly, I love him in this movie. I think he's oh, so yeah, good. He's, he creeps me out like no so other, but he's yeah. so good in it. I love him in this movie. And whoever was playing the younger him in that one yeah, little scene is really good too. He <laughs> exactly. does the exact same thing. Yeah. I just had a hard so. time, again, just matching up what he was saying with like, what his true intentions and motivations are. It's like, are you just yeah. saying that to say it? Is he, are you actually doing anything? Do you actually well, care? How do you, are you, are also you really trying, judging these women too? I don't know. Yeah. That's what I saw. And the movie's trying to make you believe that he's Jack. Well, sure. I know. But <laughs> so, I mean, there's that going on too. I know. Uh, so there's that complication yeah. within the complication of the characters. Sure. But yeah. So, I mean, this this uh, Rialto review, that she's in the audience, and then she's just sort of, it takes her a minute, but then she realizes that every single person in the audience is a man, you know? There's one woman in the back. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But but pretty much it's just like, yeah. it's just like pretty, pretty much she's just surrounded by these guys that are watching this performance of Marionetta doing Puppet on a String. Which is a dark, disturbing song when you listen to it in this context. I'm your puppet on a string, you know, basically you do whatever you want to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see uh, Sandy is one of the background dancers. They've got, you know, like, looks like they've got a key that was turned on their back, for, like their clockwork toys. It's, yeah. She's and her her face her is face. just ice cold. Her face and that whole performance is just what kills you mm. watching that. Yeah, and Ellie. Yeah, well, I mean, make, Ellie yeah. is just like she. She suddenly realizes, oh my gosh, this is she's being taken advantage of. This isn't. This isn't on the up and up at all. And then as they're walk as she's walking out, she sees that Jack is joking around with the guy he punched out earlier. Yep. So that was all <laughs> staged. I, I love that this scene just as a, like you said, yeah, like the transition between like, oh, this is when the rose-colored glasses come off, come especially off. in that backstage mm-hmm. sequence. Oh, that backstage sequence is just like where she's seeing all of these different girls, one of them shooting up, one of them doesn't wake up after she shoots up, another one's given a, <laughs> given a, a blowy to a guy. <laughs> um, it's just... It's like okay, the, or one of them is sort of being. Isn't one of them being like strangled by one of the guys or something like that, Mm-mm. or at least choked? Yeah, it's pretty dark stuff. And sitting at the table, and the guy says, 
you know, why don't you come with me? And she says, no, I'm with Jack. And he's, oh, Jack doesn't mind. And Jack says, not one bit. And that's where. That's when she uh, knows. That's when Sandy fully realizes what this is, what this is. And this part, technically and emotionally, is just incredible, where they're switching back and forth between yes. the two actresses in the same dress as she's trying to run her way out of the building. And there's this great part where where it switches to to Ellie saying to Ellie she went, said no. She said no. Yeah. I is, love that part. Oh, that part is so good. And it's perfect. It's it's so good cuz cuz it's not I said no it says she said no, you know, and that's enough. Mm-hmm. It's really good, really good. It's establishing the the connection that Ellie is starting to feel for Sandy. Like she's really mm-hmm. becoming like protective and you know concerned about this person who about Sandy, yeah. Is mm-hmm. probably dead by now. You know, she's probably thinking, you know, because the this assumption back yeah. in the sixties, yeah. And it's like, um, it's also kind of like uh, the the bridging of the time. Like maybe she's because she's sort of experienced stuff like that before, like with the the cab driver and like that. Yeah. You know, it's a, things haven't really changed. You know, in terms of that the treatment much, yeah. of women. Yeah, yeah. Sure. and there's show, and you know that goes with also those all those advertisements for mm-hmm. uh, the girls on the phone. The exploitation. Booth. Yeah, um, <laughs> and in the present again, they have Terrence Stamp, you know, saying, yeah, "I make it my business to know all the pretty girls around here." Which well, this is when she first sees the further like- plants the idea that he's Jack. I see you've met Hansy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not a good name that you want to have. No, That's not a good no, nickname. No. <laughs> Once she comes out of that dream, though, is when she kind of imagines Sandy in bed asleep and the guy comes out of the bathroom. And so she kind of gets the right. first um, image of, like, the ghost guys that she sees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And well, it's just, I I like the way that he, that Edgar Wright doesn't, like, shy away from, like, what this actually is. You know, right? Because he does like because it, it's very creepy the way the guy approaches. There's a close up of him taking off his belt, yeah. And so you get it, you know. And it's not shying away from like how gross and disturbing and and horrible this mm-hmm. is for Sandy, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is not her choice. Absolutely. It's not like Belle, you yeah. know. She, right. She decided to do this. This is not Sandy deciding to do this. This is. Mm-hmm. You will do this or I will hurt you or mm-hmm. worse. So uh, this, uh, it's really fascinating. I think I love the way that it sort of begins to move freely between the past and the present. Um, you see Sandy, then you see her being Sandy. You know, it's going back and forth in that um and then all the guys sitting down and she's saying, you know, what's your name, Alexandra? What's your name, that's Sandy? What my f- what's your name? That's my and favorite says, scene. <laughs> every response, every guy, that's a lovely name. They're all the same. They're all exactly the same. That's my favorite scene when, yeah, it's like she's, you know, forced to come out, go out and do your job and go dance for the guys, get a guy's attention, you know, do your job. Basically is what Jack is telling her. And I, yeah, I love that montage where it's, it's almost like kind of darkly comical uh, in a way, the way that it's the exact same thing. Like it, the, all the guys are the same. Like, and except for one, to her, there's one guy that's one. different. Well, but you can also just see her 
different reaction to all of this. You know, she's obviously not into any of them. Every time she says, you know, I'm Sandy, Alex, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> or Andy, she says, which is the closest. Yeah. And there's one time when she just kind of like maniacally laughs or something when one right. guy is like, oh, thank you so much that that's like, yeah. You know, when he says that that's a lovely name because she's just done with it she's so well uh, when the when when the cop asks her and she says i think she says alex in that one and he says no your real mm-hmm. name and that's the one reaction that's different and uh he i i this is the scene where i it's only a moment but i genuinely think he wants to help her he just he can't really there's only so much he can do and um but, you know, also during this scene, it's so good because you have Ali, uh, Ellie on the other side of the mirror trying to help I, her, too. I just love pound, that so much. Just, just starts pounding, on the, pounding like, on the glass. Yeah. Breaking through the mirror to hug her. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's such like a great a, image. Wants to save her, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, it's really powerful. But yeah, I know as much as much as he like turns me off still in that yeah. scene, like again, knowing who he is and like the way he says the things that he says in the scene, like sure, he's like trying to put on an act and saying, not trying to like say like that he's a cop, you know, because right. he, uh, working uh, working undercover, undercover or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But just the way that he's saying that like, you know, you're, you're too good for this or something, you should get out now. But he's saying it like so smugly and just uh, i don't know it's he's not saying in a way that will she would actually, actually listen at this anything. time yeah you know mm-hmm. or that will actually do anything which is why it's like uh, yeah is he jaded already and he's just i think saying so. this because this is all he knows how to say and even though he knows that it's probably not going to do any good or i don't know i just i have a yeah, i have a hard time with him because i didn't <laughs> i never really got any kind of sincerity or just that he did anything or yeah. enough to help anybody even though he claims to you're right right, every, right everything out of his mouth is just kind of like gross to me <laughs> okay that, and that's fair i mean i i guess i i don't know i I give him the benefit of the doubt a little bit, I guess. Maybe more than I should. Just knowing ultimately who he is. Now, one of the things, you know, the all the ghosts of the men in the bedroom and their faces are all distorted and everything. That is so cool. Mm-hmm. That's that's really well done. And I know par- and I, it's partially again, makeup, partially digital, partially. But, the, you know, people in the room. I mean, it's, it's really yeah. cool. It's technically, it's much there's something actually there but then it's altered uh i think that is makes it feel so much more concrete you know it's really well done i I like that there's a lot of different ways that you can do ghosts in Mm -hmm. movies you know and like this is kind of different than you see before where it's like they have this like weird kind of aura about them that comes off and it's very important that they're all faceless um because as they're like approaching there's like a little montage of one of them is approaching at the end of the bed and he just keeps switching with all the lines it's the Mm -hmm. same line over and over again it's uh that's a very cool approach you know just that all these all these guys are the same and it's just an endless stream uh, that you know she has to deal with it just makes it even more gross to think about like what she's been through you know yeah Mm -hmm. well and this is where 
the relationship with John sort of really starts to take off because they go to the Halloween party. She, <laughs> he finds her in in the design room in the design room, and she's just like, "I need to." It's like, "Do you want to go out?" Yes, I haven't told you what we're gonna do yet. I don't care. Let's go. <laughs> you know. Getting to be a little too much. She needs to get out. Yeah. Yeah. He's so sweet though. There, was it before when um he goes to talk to her in the pub and he's like, I'm a really good listener, you know, and I feel you know, I I feel the same way as you. Like I don't really belong. He's just uh I love this actor. He's, he's really he's good. not and he's not playing the nice guy, nice guy. Like he's genuinely no, just he's genuinely super a kind sweet guy. guy. Yeah. yeah. Who's it's like he just sees something in her that, you know, maybe he also sees that that sweet side that he has that they just they both seem like those kind of characters that are too nice for London, you know. They're too sweet and too innocent for the big city kind of thing is what they is what seems to be like their connection, maybe. Yeah. I like the way this stuff sort of contrasts them with uh, Jack and Sandy. You know, Ellie and John are contrasted against uh, Ellie and Sandy. Uh, <laughs> John and Ellie. Okay. Right. So it, it's, it's She kind of does the same kind of dance moves out on the yeah, floor a little bit. Yeah. And there's a strong contrast that is articulated in that sequence even because, you know, she sees... Um, Sandy and the ghosts and Jack at the party. And it's obviously, you know, no one else can, but she's, which is why, you know, people start thinking, oh, sure. she's losing her mind. I well, love that Jocasta and her friends are dressed up like the girls from the craft. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah. But I think there's also a wonderful line here where Ellie says, I just wish I was like everybody else. And he says, I'm glad you're not. I'm glad you're not. Uh-huh. I love that. Yeah. And she ends up, it's like, I'm not allowed to bring guys back with me. Oh, okay. So we'll have to be really quiet. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good. Yep. But of course, this is where she has the vision, the pretty extreme vision of, well, the very extreme vision of Jack apparently trying to kill Sandy with a knife. Mm-hmm. Uh, she sees Sandy covered in blood at the end of it. Uh, Jack sort of disappears. One thing that made me like fall in love with this movie, though, is the shot of her eyes in the knife blade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, very was... like giallo and just yeah. the, the whole style of this movie is one thing that just kind of really uh, made me fall yeah. in love with it. Just it's I love that it's it's kind of almost kind of bonkers in a way and a little bit over the top and really into the effects, but I was loving it the whole time. I think one of the things that I think people mislabeled this movie as Jalo. So when people saw it, they were kind of like, Oh, it's wait a minute. This isn't what I said. It was, it was like, well, Edgar Wright never said it was Jalo. You said that. And the thing is, there are certain shots. Like, I think yeah, there there's are certain like inspirational elements shots. that are inspiration from Jalo, but I think there's a lot more going on in other places than just, you know, I mean, and I don't, some people is like, oh, well, it wasn't really a horror movie. Well, it's a ghost story, but I don't know that it's really a horror movie either. That wasn't what I was going to watch the movie for. There's actually more horror in it than I expected, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but Label it however you want to label it. Yeah, and and that's one of the things that's great about Edgar Wright. I don't know that you can label 
his movies as a thing or this or that. It is lots yeah, a lot of, of different things all yeah. in one. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, then she just confronts Miss Collins. Did someone die in my room? Honey, this is London. <laughs> Someone has died in every room in every building in this city. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just, when she says, um, Mrs. Collins says something like, I would have killed that kid or whatever, or broken me yeah. or not. And, you, and you're like, yes, you would have. When you yeah. see the ending, you know? I know. <laughs> Again, it's like kind of going back and seeing things that you couldn't see before i'll pay for a bro i'll pay for the mirror it's like oh we all pay for a broken mirror i mean there's just these <laughs> little things that she drops in there that are really you know in- indicative of who she is yeah. uh and she kind of starts seeing the ghosts everywhere um there's bloody sandy like out on the street like not just yeah. confined to mm-hmm. that room or her dreams anymore she's yeah. seeing them on the street being in the library chased by them mm-hmm. yeah i love that he has her on microfilm looking <laughs> <laughs> not looking searching the internet she's got microfilm that's yeah. awesome that's the way all research should be done in movies for the till the end of time. Even even if microfilm <laughs> never is just completely gone, which most of it is, searches need to be done on microfilm. I've never gotten to use one of those, and I really, really want to. You know, just for movies, I it was just want to it use. was cool. It was cool. <laughs> those were the days. Okay, that's she goes to the police, which I think is a really important part two because mm-hmm. she goes and she tells the whole story about how because after she sees the bloody sandy you know she's like there was a girl that was murdered uh-huh. in my room and she's trying to figure out you know who she is and solve it and the male cop laughs at her but the woman listens and i think that's yeah. important that that's a good distinction that they made like she actually she, does, she doesn't yeah. say she believes her but she says i think you know that there's right it's you what you believe and I yeah, think but there's, you believe that something happened. Yeah, I think you're right. But also to turn that around, you have Jocasta, the woman, thinks she's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then she goes, um, he says, she says to John, it's like, this is going to sound crazy. And he just says, what did you see? That's mm-hmm. his reaction. It, it sort of undermines the toxic masculinity in his character that she's so used to seeing in Jack and the other other men in the film. It's also the everything has two sides part of yeah. the movie too. Everybody yeah. everybody is both things. You can't judge obviously anybody or any time just like what's well, on the surface like everybody is just a yeah. little bit complicated and different yeah which is really brought in in this next part where you know she goes she gets to work she's late it's like you have a customer get downstairs and it's the guy terrence stamp you know i love how he's playing he's eloise by barry ryan is on the jukebox and he's playing air you know bar piano <laughs> he's on he's <laughs> playing piano on the bar and he says this line, no one ever really disappears. They're always around somewhere. It's like, he says, well, you, and then she, <laughs> she's recording the conversation and says, you know, you, you killed Sandy. He says, no, Alex killed Sandy, which mm-hmm. is a really interesting line because yep. it's, she killed herself, essentially. She died. And I think Diana Rigg essentially confirms that yes later 
Um, I agree. And I, I, I think that's... But again, there's two sides to that, too. There's two sides <laughs> to looking at it, too. Exactly. Yeah. You all look the same on a slab. You all look See, the same he doesn't care. He, yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Well, but the thing is, I think he's jaded. I think it is. he has just seen too many of these girls on that slab because if he cares about every single one anymore, he's just, he's going to die. It's going to kill him. So he is so jaded because of it all. He left for a while and has come back. That's one of the things that is mentioned too, that he just yeah. couldn't do it. It's like, and then ironically, he gets <laughs> hit by a cab. And it's like, it's like, that's Jack. He's dead. It's like, no, that's Lindsay. 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 He was a vice cop around here. Another thing that I think is kind of neat is she's running through the street and she just sees John chasing after the cop cars. And he's, he says, I saw the flashing lights and I had to see if it was you. And it, he's like, he will chase after her to try and protect her in any way he possibly can. And it's just kind of beautiful. And she wants to go home to the country and he offers to drive her. Drive her. It's like, you oh have God, a car? Dude. Of course. How would I get to South, North London? North London from South, South London. South London, yeah. It's like, if I'm not back in 15. And so they, she goes back to the apartment to tell Miss Collins that she's going to leave and yeah, get um, her stuff has, and leave. Get her like, stuff, yeah. you know. And it's like, maybe, maybe she'll uh, let me out of my deposit if I'm really nice and well. Um <laughs> So this is where the movie kind of loses some people. And I understand. It lost me too. The first time, especially the second time, a little less. But by the third time, this last most recent viewing, I first of all, you get, by the way, one of your letters was, it's, was sent to me by mistake. Um, and then you see that the letters are addressed to Miss Alexandra what? Collins. What? That's crazy. It's like, it's like she'll make some, she's going to make <laughs> some tea for her and they're going to talk. It's like, you know, the police came around uh, and <laughs> we're, we're asking uh, about you. Yeah. So the policewoman that she, that were, yeah, when they were asking about you and you went to the police about the room upstairs. But not for the reasons that she's thinking. <laughs> so it sucks. <laughs> I know. I know. And she says, a girl did die up there, I suppose, which is, you know, true. She's revealing that she, the girl died and, you know, whatever she became <laughs> was born instead. You know, I think, I think she died yeah. multiple times, so I think in a way, you know, died every time yeah. one of these men was with her that she didn't want to be with. Sandy and, died in that room. She died a hundred <sighs> times. Yeah. And then one night, the man who put me there. <laughs> <laughs> I put a knife in him a yeah. hundred times. Yeah. Very um, yeah. Yeah. symbolic, I would say. <laughs> Using a phallic weapon yep. against him yep. to penetrate yep. the man. Yep, yep. So uh, they sent me to hell, so I sent them to theirs. Yeah, um, so it, obviously the tea is poisoned. <laughs> she, so she's trying to kill her. Kind of heading towards the end here. But um, okay, some of the things that I think are, that are interesting, because... Okay, Miss Collins really does try to kill her. <laughs> and the cigarettes get thrown in. Into the records, into man. The, uh, <laughs> Destroying the records. Into the records. Yeah, they start to burn. Uh, John comes in, tries to say, but he gets stabbed in the stomach. 
it's sort of incapacitated. So it comes down to them. And now what's interesting, you know, they get up into the room and the ghosts start pleading with Ellie to save them is interesting. Okay. The, the, the stairs, the shot of the going up the stairs though. <laughs> really I love cool. That so much. <laughs> I do too. I do too. The blood and the breaking, the way the stairs are breaking yeah. like glass and the fire and the way that Sandy mm-hmm. is singing um, it kind of switches back. And, oh my god! I was like, "This is so like wild," but I yeah, absolutely love it. <laughs> and there's also that you know where she they are like, "Save us, save us!" And Ellie just says, "No." Uh, is really uh, I think that's yeah. the profound moment. That's the turning well, point. Well, they don't because when they when the ghost asks her to kill mm-hmm. her. Is when she yeah. says no. Yeah. Yeah. And we have sort of the moment where Miss Collins says, I didn't want any of this. You know, they deserved this. And Ellie's like, yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. And I think that moment where just that sympathetic ears, like this acknowledgement of you did not deserve to be treated the way you were treated for years. Mm-hmm. That was a horrible wrong that happened to you. And she just says, I'm not going to the police. And so there's this, you're going to, I have to kill you or you'll, t- <laughs> you'll t- it's like, well, but then she, with the house burning down around them, she says, you can't save me. I know you want to save me. Uh, and that goes back to that scene where she is pounds on the mirror, breaks through the mirror. You know, Ellie's instinct is to yeah. save this person. Like she couldn't save her mom, you know, I think. I think there's an element. Or there. like when she says, or the Alex killed Sandy uh-huh. line, like she turned into something, this uh, vengeful a serial you know, killer person. She turned <laughs> she turned into a yeah, serial killer, yeah. basically. Very cold hearted, yeah. probably, you know, for the rest mm-hmm. of her life, which, okay, this is where I don't like playing devil's advocate, but because, you know, you, you see, okay, she does turn into a serial killer. Sure. She kills all these guys who can you really say a hundred percent that they deserve to be right. killed? I don't know. But I mean, she never wanted this life mm-hmm. to begin with. Yep. So all of those men raped her basically. Yeah. But you don't actually, but then you don't actually see if she kills them like before they get a chance to or after. It's like, oh, right. you know what I mean? Like, or she's just doing it b- beforehand. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to say. I do not like playing devil advocate on this at all because, you know, she obviously did not want any of this to happen. Mm-hmm. And if those men took advantage of her, then like, fuck them. But at the same time, <laughs> they're paying to be with a sex worker, they think. <laughs> They don't. They, think, they don't necessarily know. know. The only, Jack deserves it. If I if I'm gonna say anything, oh, about yeah. Jack, I feel like deserves it. Um, I mean, if anyone deserves to be murdered, it's him. <laughs> uh, the others are. It's it's a little bit more of a gray area. I think though. Um, because, Does she have the right to mm-hmm. kill? Though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Is the thing. It's with, yeah. It's the same kind of question that comes up with any kind of like revenge Revenge or you know avenge avenge avengement you know story is like what's really morally right in that situation you can say what you feel is right i feel you know all rapists deserve to die sure that's deal with that um but uh, it's a it's a morality thing yeah 
<laughs> yeah. It's tough. And I said, I don't like playing devil's advocate here, right, but right. I think that's the point. I think that's the point in the movie. I think that's yep. what the movie is saying mm-hmm. by making her both kind of the hero and the villain. Yeah. In the story, it's the same thing of like not having nostalgia for a certain time period or for the city because sure. there's always something dark underneath. It's the same with people. People are complicated mm-hmm. and they can be both things at once. That's and right. I know that's where I know that's where this movie loses a lot of people because it makes the victim the villain. But I think that's I think that's the message that. But she's ultimately the hero too because she saves. She yeah. saves. Ellie. She saves her. Says save the boy. Yeah. Wants to save John. You can too, save yourself and she... save the boy. I mean, so uh-huh. I yeah. There's a there's a reconciliation that has to happen with all of that kind of stuff with mm-hmm. you know like. The, the nostalgia thing and with people being so complicated and that's what happens at this movie there's a reconciliation at the end uh-huh. that I, I i really like because you see her with the the new fashion show that she's yep. putting on and it's like it's a, it's a combination between the past and the present now her hair is mm-hmm. the same style same cut but it's like a kind of a golden brown so she's kind of in between what she originally was right. in between sandy the shirt that she's wearing is the same color as as the shirt that her mom is wearing when she sees her mom in the mirror you yeah. know so she's so it's like she's reconciled those complications within, within the people within the time and like found a way to make them uh, both a part of who she is and, and yeah. her designs and her fashions are inspired by the 60s but it's not like a hundred percent like that mm-hmm. like the when she's originally trying to make the pink dress she's yeah. trying to make it exactly the same right but this time she's kind of meshing the modern and the past like both both sides of her that exist within her now yeah that she's gone through this yeah and i think that the, the fact that she sees her mom in there her mom has come with her to london because she felt like she was leaving that behind when she went to london she wasn't going to see her mom again that was the implication you know but then she sees her there in the mirror it's like oh you know this past is here sandy is there mm-hmm. sandy appears in the mirror and they have a moment of reconciliation as well when they you know boop fingers in the mirror yeah yeah and so i the ending didn't work for me the first couple times i watched it but as the more i sit with it the more i uh watch the movie it works for me more you know i mean honestly i got caught up in a little bit of the logic of it too it's like how would they not smell all that and you know (laughs) but but that's not really the point either i think the point is having to do with um and, you know, I thought it was a little bit of bait and switch. Oh, um, because we see Sandy dead. We think she's dead. But then it turns out, no, she wasn't dead. She actually is the one who killed Jack. Um, and then it turns mm-hmm. out to be, you know, Miss Collins. It, it was just kind of like, uh, that's a little bit. Th- that felt like a cheat to me at first. Um, but as I've spent more time with it, I, it, it works better as, as I've watched it more. So part of it is I just like the movie as much as I do. And so the ending, even though the ending always left, I think the flaws, I guess, sometimes a flawed movie is more interesting to talk about too. Yeah. Because it makes you sort of struggle with, with what could really be going on entirely. Um, And I think that's, that's unique. Yeah, that's why I didn't like saying what I just said. It's like I don't ever want to sound like victim blaming. No, 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 or no, no. Obviously, I don't think that you sound that, that way at but, all. 
that's what this movie I think is trying to make you wrestle with. It's defying conventions and all different ways, like throughout the movie and like kind of forcing you to look at things differently, I think. Yeah. Because it, like what would a typical ghost story like this be? Like she'd be like trying to figure out like who killed the dead girl and uh-huh. like, put the bad guy away kind of thing. It's something it's it gets totally flipped on his head. Yep. And it's something different that you have to wrestle with i just, yeah i don't really like the part where the ghosts are like save us it's like well nah, you, you kind of suck so um <laughs> which is her which is the point of that being in there because she says no yeah. you don't you i don't think you deserve it and so yeah. is, is what she basically says so it's like i'm not gonna kill this woman i'm with her on this is what it comes even though she tried to kill me just now um you know. they well they try to seem like the victims because uh-huh. you know because they were because uh, they were killed by her but they were also going to take advantage of her but then they also in death want her to die so it's like do you have the right to ask for her death yeah then well and i think it's interesting I mean, another that kind she, of revenge thing i think yeah. it's interesting that she no longer sees the male ghost but she sees sandy it's like sandy lives on Whereas these other creeps are just going to be forgotten in their own hell. Yeah. Screw those guys. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, two complex films (laughs) about complex people. Yeah. I don't know what else to add. I didn't didn't have (laughs) I didn't have anything planned to say. I just I was one of those people. I know this wasn't really loved last night in soho like when it was first coming out like people were just not liking this so it took me a while to see it but when i saw it man it was just everything that i kind of loved and something that i hadn't really seen in a movie in a long time just the style of it mm-hmm. and the way that it just kind of goes for it with that that really kind of drew me to it and the whole like like i said it being different than how i thought it was going to be being more about like ghosts and, and stuff yeah. like that that's definitely one of my favorite things <laughs> so i think one of the things i hope i hope that the, it turns around that people yeah. kind of maybe think about this movie a little bit more the way we've been talking about it and like looking mm-hmm. at those complications and because a lot of people are seeing it as like okay well the whole end part of the movie like completely messes up what you established in the beginning about like the treatment and exploitation of women by making her the villain and everything like well i don't really think that's entirely what the movie is trying to do and i think people just need to maybe look at it a different way yeah what i was gonna say uh, that's that's uh (laughs) what i'm gonna have to say say right now is much less deep than that but one of the things (laughs) i liked about this movie is how kinetic it is and i really like yeah a kinetic energetic movie that is so skillfully made i feel like so many movies now are so stationary they're so still it's just kind of the aesthetic that you get with so many aesthetic yeah and it's like you know let's do the indie aesthetic and then everybody does it and it gets dull and it's like it was interesting in one movie but it's not interesting when everybody does it so i just loved that Edgar Wright said, no, I'm going to make this movie sensory. I'm going to make you um, emote. I'm going to make you confused. I'm going to make you just not entirely sure what you're seeing sometimes. I was so ready for that when I saw this. Mm -hmm. Um, And it has, uh, from a technical standpoint, it's almost like Spielbergian. I mean, just because I saw... uh, his West Side Story not long after this, and it has the same sort of big motions of the camera and stuff like that too. And 
and just that energy that is brought with a really strong technical filmmaker is just a marvel to see. And so, um, even if you don't love the story, I think that <laughs> you can't deny yeah. just how technically brilliant this movie is and how um, energetic and exciting it feels. You really, I mean, I really feel like I've traveled back in time and into the 60s in that moment. And I have the rose-colored glasses until they're taken away, too. It's yeah. It's really so cool how it all works out. I love any movie, any filmmaker that you know, takes advantage of the fact that movies are a visual medium. Yes. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. <laughs> and it's like, let's just put it all on the screen. Like, what do you know? Cameras movies... move. They really do. <laughs> you, you can move them. Colors. Colors are awesome. Colors put are lots of colors amazing. in your movie. <laughs> That's quite what this movie lights. gave me. Like I, <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what this movie gave me. I remember when I saw it, like, like I said, I hadn't watched anything quite like this in a while. So I was like, I remember the thing I tweeted was like, that was, that was bonkers, like in terms of the story and visually, and I am here for it. Yeah. <laughs> I still am. So yeah, love this. I mean, I, I just like it more every time I see it. I like Edward Wright more every time I see a movie of his. Are we, can we still do what we kind of talked about doing before? Yes. We are going yeah. to do that. I really want, I really want to do that now. So we've kind of decided, We normally we had a, like a set time that we were going to do our friends forever favorites but we've decided we're just going to do friends forever favorites as those things become available to us mm-hmm. and we're going to fill in those dates those episode numbers with just a single movie a single movie that we want to talk about so we're going to break it down we're going to cover the cornetto trilogy one at a time yeah. and there'll be about you know, they'll be a couple months apart, but we'll start with Shaun of the Dead. We'll do uh, Hot Fuzz and then we'll do World's End. So, and frankly, Edgar Wright doesn't have that many more movies. We may just finish his filmography. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> That'd be cool. We'll, we'll see. Um, but uh, anyway, that'll be a lot of fun to break those down um, in the throughout the year. Well, tease of what's to come yeah <laughs> technically that would be every fifth episode uh for for a while there yeah. so it, it'll take a while to get through all of them but it's going to be a lot of fun to be able to dig into those i love all of them in different ways yeah, and like me too they my ranking of them and what i love the most keeps changing always always <laughs> it's hard it's hard yeah. with those they're also different they are they are and so that'll be fun um i have a real quick recommend and i do not speaking As of usual. i suck this is just kind of a pairing that I think would go with last night in Soho just because it deals with this idea of seeing a time that is not your own as sort of like the perfect time, the greatest time, the time that you want to live in. Speaking of complicated people, um, it's directed, written, directed by Woody Allen, uh, but midnight in Paris from uh, several years ago now just feels like it would go really well with, Last night in Soho. And, um, you know, if you want to see it, you know, find a used copy where he doesn't get any money. They're available. Uh, if you feel that way, that's fine. Um, <laughs> and I get it. But damn it, the guy made really, really good movies. I haven't seen any of them. I so. know. I know. Can't, I can't comment. <laughs> I know. Uh, so I'm just going to mention that. Uh, hopefully I don't get canceled for that. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, but. But for. Next time, mm-hmm. I think we're both super excited about the movies we get to talk about next time. Yes. 
we are animating ourselves. Yeah. We have, have we yet, we're yet to talk about an animated feature, aren't we? Have not done that yet. Yeah. Now, both of these animated films are robot related. So I, I, <laughs> I don't know if we actually decided who is bringing what, but um, because I'm we just going to madly, madly in love with one of them. <laughs> Exactly. So. <laughs> and but the thing is this is my favorite animated movie, period. I don't think either one of us wanted to Yeah. All together claim but we just kinda of put these two together. Like both we both agreed Let's on do one, it that like way. pretty hardcore. And yeah. then we this one the other one is just kind of one that we agreed that would go together with it pretty well. Yeah, so from two thousand eight, we're talking Wally. Yay! Uh, Andrew Stanton, <laughs> Pixar seriously one of the the greatest movies ever <laughs> best movies ever made and yeah. it gets me every time and i i just am so excited to watch it again and i never get tired of watching it it's just it's perfect i don't know if i'll have anything like deep to say about it. i'll just be like he's so freaking cute i just love him so much he he's cute. so cute <laughs> and then to kind of go with that one of my favorite um movies of a couple years ago so it's mm-hmm. pretty recent it was on my uh, from, list too yeah yeah uh, i didn't see it until last like a year later or whatever though so uh mm-hmm. from 2021 we are gonna pair wally with the mitchells versus the machines which so i both... fell in love with immediately oh it's so uh, good it's, it's so good yeah i mean and this is one of those things where we're these aren't necessarily oh let's pick our favorite animated films and just do them they kind of go because i think we yeah because i also think i would probably might say wally now too <laughs> so we yeah. can't have the same movie <laughs> yeah so they they just they go together well i think um and who knows we may do other animated films in the future uh just focus and say hey we're gonna do another animated one i'm sure that we could <laughs> we could probably have paired wally with you know short circuit or something like that (laughs) the obvious Um, thing right yeah i think this is much better because you've got the tie of the robots but they're both dealing with totally different uh themes and one the robots are the good guys and the one the robots are the bad guys and And that one's all about like family and you know Mm -hmm. the relationships with your family so yeah there's a lot of stuff to look into that one and uh yeah so that'll be that'll be a great time and i'm looking forward to that Uh, Yeah, for sure. If you want to find us on social media, you can find the show at Movie Life Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd at BrianWaves42. And you can't find Michelle. (laughs) Just kidding. You can occasionally find me like posting like a gym selfie or something on Instagram. (laughs) Just at yeah. Michelle Egan. <laughs> if you listen to our last episode, you know how jealous I am of her that she can just <laughs> quit social media. Um, and I'm, I probably could too, but I haven't fully quit, anyway. but I've taken major, major steps back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, but uh, we, uh, if you do communicate with us on social media, we're happy to talk to you. We look forward to that, uh, especially if you if you do that through the show. Um, so rather than us personally and yeah i think yeah which is i think is probably fair to say right Uh, so well that's it ask me the question did i did i did i I miss anything no i'm just waiting for okay michelle well what are we going to do then there it is 
Uh, we will see you all next time. You Bye. Came into Bye. Just forget there was one time.